Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is Wednesday, December 27th, 2023. Y'all know what that means. It is the final podcast of 2023. How about that? We've made it through another year of the podcast, which is exciting. And this week, for the first time ever, we've been doing this podcast since January of 2021. But we've never done a podcast like the one we're going to do today. Because this week, we are taking a look back at almost everything that happened on this podcast and in the world this past year, 2023. It is our Xander's Facts first ever year in review podcast. The best facts from 2023. I'm excited, y'all. So let's get to it in just a second. But before we do... Just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 128, rate and review the podcast, check us out on all the socials, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. Most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. We like to call it Spread the Facts around here. Tell all your friends about the podcast, the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts. If you don't know, it is a recap of the week's top headlines. That comes out every Sunday morning, written by me, Sander. It is free to sign up. You can do so in this episode's description. Go check that out. And also check out the Zader's Facts link tree, which is linked in this episode's description as well. It has all the Zader's Facts links that you need. And also, I'm not going to have to tell you this now because I'm going to say it a bunch of times this podcast, but remember to listen to any of our past episodes. All past 127 episodes are available wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now. And we're going to talk about a bunch of those past episodes this week in our 2023 Facts in Review podcast. It is hard to believe, y'all, but the end of the year is already upon us. 2023 has come to an end, meaning this podcast is the last one of the year. And there was definitely some good this year. There was also some bad. ton of things happened this year, not just on this podcast, Taylor Swift was Time's Person of the Year. She was everywhere, including if you watch football. Wildfires turned the skies of the East Coast orange back in the summer, if y'all remember that. Barbenheimer took place in the summer. Twitter became X under Elon Musk. That was kind of a disaster, prompting Mark Zuckerberg and Meta to launch what has been dubbed the Twitter killer, I think by myself. Threads, which I'm on, y'all go follow me. And... From Donald Trump becoming the first former president in U.S. history to be criminally indicted, which happened four times, to India becoming the most populous country in the world, surpassing China. It has been a wild 365 days, and since I've been in the festive mood this holiday season, I'm feeling pretty good right now, y'all. So I decided to take a look back at not just what went on around the world in 2023, but what 2023 looked like for this very podcast, because we covered a ton of different niche topics that we devoted episodes to. We analyzed the political chaos that enveloped the year. It certainly did. And of course, I made a ton of predictions that um, some went well, some, you know, we'll talk about those. But I feel like it was a pretty successful year for Zader's Facts. We continued to grow 
our subscriber numbers and our page reads for our newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts. More people than ever have been engaging with Xander's Facts content on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. And we crossed the big milestone for the Xander's Facts podcast, y'all. Over 13,000 downloads all time, which the sum, I know, some people are listening to this like, oh, please, that's barely anything. May not sound like that big of a deal. But to Xander's Facts, listen, y'all, it definitely is. We're going to shoot those numbers up in 2024, though, let me tell you. So to wrap up the year, we're going to take a look back at some of the more notable facts that I had to offer in 2023, including some sound bites that I grabbed from episodes of yesteryear, because I always think it's fun to look back on what we've done and see how much the facts have grown. Plus, I know there's a bunch of y'all listeners who are new to the pod, may have missed some of our previous rabbit hole adventures that we've gone down. So that's what we're doing this week. It is our year in review podcast. We're going to listen to some of our, probably the ones that I picked out were probably some of the best segments we've done on the podcast, at least from my vantage point, or at least the most notable or wacky or fact-filled. So I spent a ton of time looking through all 40 of our past episodes. That's how many we did this year. So let's get to it, y'all. To the facts! Let's do it. Here's a look at what's happened this past year, along with the best moments from a year of facts, as we say farewell to 2023. But to start 2023, the world opened on January 5th with the funeral of Pope Benedict XVI in Vatican City, who actually passed away on the last day of 2022. That was really the first big global event to take place this year. But the Xander's Facts podcast started the year with our first 2023 pod on January 11th, which was episode 89, Turmoil in the U.S. House and U.S. Soccer, which I, it started the year, but I thought it started the year with a bang, y'all. We discussed the brand new Congress in D.C. You all probably know what was going on back then. Democrats had retained control of the Senate, but Republicans gained a slim majority in the House back in the midterm elections in November of 2022. And it may seem like it was just yesterday, but Kevin McCarthy needing 15 ballots to become Speaker of the House took place almost one year ago. And of course, we all know how that ultimately turned out. It became a job he didn't even last the full year with. We talked about that. And then on the same episode, I talked about the news regarding Greg Berhalter, the manager of the U.S. men's soccer national team. If you don't remember, because it was a year ago, Berhalter had come under fire during November and December's World Cup in Qatar for giving limited minutes to Gio Reyna, one of the U.S.'s best players. Now, we still don't know exactly why Reyna was given a few minutes, but we learned later that Reyna's father, Claudio, a former star on the U.S. men's national team himself, had gone to U.S. soccer leadership during the World Cup to complain about Gio's lack of playing time. Claudio, who was a longtime friend of Burhalter's, or was, I don't, I guess, I, they probably aren't anymore, and his wife, Claudio's wife, Danielle, even went so far as to tell U.S. soccer leadership about an incident that occurred 30 years ago concerning Greg kicking his then-girlfriend and now-wife, Rosalind, which led me to go on a bit of a rant. Our first of the year, how about that? So, our first soundbite of this podcast, one that's going to have a bunch of them, comes from episode 89, my little rant on what was going on in U.S. soccer. Take a listen. Sanders Packs! And just my reactions to that, the Rainias were 
obviously trying to use their clout as U.S. soccer royalty. Claudio was captain of the U.S. men's national team, and he's been the sporting director of Austin FC and MLS since 2019, and he's done a really good job. But they were trying to use their clout to try and get Greg Berhalter punished, not because they hate him, but because they wouldn't feature their son, Gio, at the World Cup. Oh, boo-hoo! Now, we can all agree that that was a terrible decision. Gio should have played. He's one of their best players. But mommy and daddy are going to go complain because our son didn't get to play. Oh, no. Our poor baby Gio. Nice try, buddy. But we cannot support Greg Berhalter for many things regarding the U.S. men's national team. But what the Rainiers did crossed a line. No one likes an obnoxious soccer parent. And yes, if you are an obnoxious soccer parent, I'm talking to you. The Rainiers, if you're listening. But this might just be the worst case for it. The Rainier parents should never be involved with anything having to do with U.S. soccer ever again. Judge Xander. And Claudia should probably lose his job in Austin. That is a horrible look. Oh, our son's not playing. And guess what? Greg did this back in 1991. And you should know about it. So you should fire him. Like, really? But what this also shows is that U.S. soccer is not some big time, big soccer federation operation. And it isn't run that way either. In order for U.S. soccer to actually make serious strides to improving their men's product, they need to change the way things are run, and that probably means shaking up who runs it, starting with Ernie Stewart. Like, we talk about U.S. soccer growing in America, and this is the most important four years for soccer in the history of this country because we're hosting the World Cup in 2026, and we might be hosting Copa America in 2024. And our team is really good, and we actually have a chance because of all the talent we have. But what's holding us back is U.S. soccer. Nugget. It's like this mom and pop shop. I mean, the actual headquarters of U.S. soccer in Chicago is at the U.S. Soccer House, which is just two mansions joined together. That's their headquarters. Like, former players and stars at that should obviously be able to have a say in what goes on, but not an overbearing and major influence. The fact that the Rainiers were able to voice their displeasure several times with Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart, the top guys at U.S. Soccer, is ridiculous. And do you know who was part of the group that hired Greg Berhalter at U.S. Soccer, who was the number two guy to Ernie Stewart at U.S. Soccer when Greg Berhalter was hired? His brother, Jay Berhalter. And not a lot of people were impressed by the Greg Berhalter hire. So the fact is that the World Cup performance was perfectly acceptable to those inside U.S. soccer, where the U.S. scored three, three total goals in four matches. The people who are running U.S. soccer, they either don't have a vision or they haven't shared it with us. And we need people to actually be in charge of soccer in this country who actually believe that the United States can win a World Cup. We can come into 2026 and say, oh, maybe we'll make the semifinals and that'd be cool. No! We need to have the mindset that we can win the thing in 2026 in this country when we have the best talent in the history 
of U.S. soccer. So there's that. Next up, I'm going to talk about Greg Berhalter, who absolutely should not be the manager of the U.S. men's national team any longer. First off, I probably would have been disappointed if he was brought back on as manager even before we learned about all this. I mean, there's been a lot of things about how Greg Berhalter's managed this team that many haven't agreed with, including myself, including his tactics at times. The second half against the Ron almost broke me. I almost had a heart attack. His man management. He fell out with prominent player John Brooks. He left Tim Ream off the squad for qualifying. Tim Ream saved his butt at the World Cup for how good he was. He favored Zach Steffen as keeper for almost up until all the World Cup, and that was not the right decision, as Matt Turner just laid out at the World Cup. And now this with Giorena, and how he has reacted to losses. There was a World Cup qualifier against Canada, and it happens on like the same day as the AFC Championship game or whatever. And it happens up in Canada, and the U.S. lose 2-0. And Greg Berhalter says, we dominated that game. No, they absolutely did not dominate. They looked horrible. So there's all that. But now, there is no way, no way that he can come back. And it's not because of the incident that happened over three decades ago, that, which should have been kept a private manner, by the way. And they reconciled and they love each other. So that's not an issue. The issue is that there's a riff between the players, some of the players, and Greg Berhalter. Most notably... Geo and his willingness to speak about this situation right after it happened was absolutely not a good idea at all. Who advised him to do that? That was a horrible idea. And he still says he wants to remain his manager. I don't care what that investigation U.S. Soccer finds. He should not be the manager. And if he is given a new contract for the World Cup in 2026, all hope should be lost with U.S. Soccer. Like I tell you, U.S. soccer needs to have big aspirations. We need to come in here. We need to be interviewing managers and say, look, 2026, we have the best roster, the best talent we've ever had. And the World Cup is here. Can you win us the World Cup? And we need to be talking to the biggest guys in soccer. We don't need to be talking to Greg Berhalter, whose biggest managerial achievement before this was managing Columbus Crew of MLS for five years and getting to MLS Cup, which he didn't win. And then, guess what happens after he goes to U.S. soccer? Columbus Crew and MLS Cup. And from what we've seen under Greg Berhalter, it hasn't been bad. There have been some bad moments, but overall it's been fine. But we should be doing better than fine. Like, nothing against Greg Berhalter. I'm sure he's a very nice person, but we need to have bigger aspirations as a soccer country. Santa's facts! By the way, just so y'all know, Greg Berhalter was re-signed, I guess, as the manager of the U.S. Men's National Team. So my, my tune has changed, maybe, a little bit. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see how um, 2024 goes. 2024 is going to be a big year for U.S. soccer. And also, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to kind of preview some of the big events we're going to see in 2024. That'll be at the end of the podcast, so stay tuned for that. But you know what also happened in January A bunch of presidents and vice presidents, including the current president, Joe Biden, and the former vice president, Mike Pence, had classified documents found at their homes. Of course, there's only been one individual who has been criminally charged for his handling of classified documents. And we'll get to that in a minute. But then a couple weeks later, on episode 91 of this podcast, we answered the question, 
What is a recession? You can go back and listen to what exactly some consider the parameters of a recession to be, and go back and listen to all of the economists who are screaming from the rooftops that a recession is coming in 2023. You may remember the infamous headline from October 2022 that was in Bloomberg titled, Forecast for U.S. Recession Within a Year Hits 100% in Blow to Biden. Well, here we are, the end of 2023. And did a recession happen? It did not. In fact, I noted in that podcast that the Fed was internally projecting that the U.S. economy was going to grow by half a percent this year, which we were like, oh my gosh, well. Well, it turns out that GDP grew by 5.2%. And that was just in the third quarter of this year, from July to September. So did we have a recession? No, we did not. Bloomberg's forecast failed mightily. And the next week, to begin February, we celebrated the second anniversary of this podcast by explaining what augmented reality, or AR, is. And I explained how I think it's going to be the next big thing in technology, in the world of computers and phones and that sort of thing. And if you need any further evidence as to that being the case... This past year, Apple launched its version of AR, the Vision Bro headset, in June, and is expected to start selling that product early in 2024. When Apple gets involved, you know it's kind of a big deal, right? February was a pretty busy month for the podcast, though, because the next week, we previewed the Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. And here's what that prediction was, along with another segment that I had to include in there that I totally forgot that I did until I went back and listened to it. My five steps to once again becoming a fan of Washington's NFL franchise. I was not very happy when I recorded that segment. Listen to this. There is no consensus. It is anyone's guess who will win until now when I make my pick because the drama is real. The storylines are big. The stage couldn't be brighter. This is the finale of the American football season, and we all watch it. This one's going to be good. It's a toughie, though, to predict who I think is going to win. But I think that's a good thing, because when it's a toughie, means you're probably going to get a good game. So for my prediction, here y'all go. Listen up. I'm making a pick. Fact-filled one. I am going to go winning in a tight one, 28-24. I will pick the team from the AFC. The Kansas City Chiefs will win Super Bowl 57. That's a big fact. Patrick Mahomes will win his second Super Bowl. So will Andy Reid. The Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. Xander's facts. There you go. And if you were wondering how to tune into the game, Well, this Sunday is when the big game kicks off at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. That is where the game is televised this year, with pregame coverage starting at 11 a.m. Eastern, if you all wanted to know, with, oh, this is a big one, the Skip and Shannon Undisputed Super Bowl Special. I think everybody just did a collective yuck, which I did as well. Not going to be watching that. Oh, also, at halftime, The performance will be from Rihanna. She is performing at halftime. The halftime show, which is no longer 
the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show. It's now the Apple Music Super Bowl halftime show because Apple gave more money than Pepsi. That's why that happened. So there you go. Xander's preview on the big game. What's going to happen? All the facts you need to know. So many facts in there that you can tell all your friends. You'll be like, how do you know that? Xander told me. How did you know the Chiefs were going to win? 28-24. Xander told me. There you go. Xander's facts. It's going to be a good one. Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So there you go. Xander's facts. NFL Super Bowl 57 preview show. But we're not done on the podcast because while we're on the topic of professional football, I thought I would talk a little bit about my football fandom because we're done with the NFL season now on Sunday. It's going to be over. And I'm probably not going to talk about it for months, for a while. So I wanted to get this off my chest because I've said before on this podcast, football has kind of fallen out of favor for me this season for several reasons that we have outlined on the podcast. Although Jesse Marsh is gone, so quit your whining. Who knows? But one of those reasons is the loss of a team to root for. Because you all know, if you are a longtime listener of the facts, you all know that I have renounced the team that I once supported for my entire life, who were once known as the Washington football team. And I did that for several reasons. But I'm here to tell you, if you are a football fan, if you want to get more people into the game, if you don't want people to be angry at the game, like I kind of am at the moment, or if you just want me to be happy, I am here to tell you that all hope is not lost, that there is a chance, as slim as it may be, there is a chance of me becoming a fan once again. However, it is going to be a very long, very grueling process. It will take years. But I'm here to tell you that it could happen. But several things need to happen. And there's several steps. So I'm going to outline the steps that need to be taken here in order for myself to become a fan once again of the NFL's Washington organization. Here we go. I've got five steps that need to happen for me to become a fan once again of the NFL's Washington team. Are you ready? These are big time, big time stuff right here. Groundbreaking. Step number one, Daniel Snyder must sell the team. This is an absolute unequivocal must happen. Dan Snyder, who was a wretched, one of the worst human beings to ever grace the planet. Ha ha, loser. And I'm, I am not mincing my words when I say that. He is an awful human being. He must sell the team. If he does not sell the team, I will never become a fan. If any of the Snyder relatives or any of his friends buy the team or take ownership of the team, I will not support the team. That is step number one. So that's got to happen. Step number two. The quarterback whose name is Taylor Heineke must no longer be on the team. I do not like his attitude, Taylor Heineke. I don't care if he's from Old Dominion University. I don't care if he was a couple years ago just at college doing whatever. But I don't like him for several reasons. Number one, 
He's very cocky. And he's not even that good. That's part of the second reason. He's not even that good, and they keep starting him. And they're not doing very well because of that. Number three, because apparently he's a MAGA fan. And I don't like this, people. Step number three. Dang. Ron Rivera must be relieved from his duties as head coach of the team. I applaud Ron Rivera for going to the Super Bowl in Carolina with Cam Newton. I applaud Ron Rivera for fighting cancer and beating cancer while coaching the Washington football team. But he's not, a, he's not that great of a coach. He needs to go. And if you want that illustrated any further, just look at the last weekend or the week 17 of the NFL regular season, the weekend before the last weekend. He had no clue that they could have gotten eliminated from the playoffs that weekend when it was entirely possible and did happen. And he had no clue. The, the reporter told him, he was like, what, what? How do you not know that? He needs to be relieved from his duties. I'm just going to say that. I'm sure that, well, I don't know about the first one, but I'm sure Ron Rivera is a very nice person, very great person, but I don't want him coaching the team I support anymore. I don't want that to happen. Step number four. We're already on four or five. Step number four. This is, this has to happen. The organization must, it must change its nickname to anything, literally anything, besides its current moniker of Commanders. The Commanders sucks. It is the worst sports nickname in the history of our planet. It stinks. The only reason Dan Snyder did it was because he's sucking up to the military. Why do you need to do that, Daniel? And their uniforms stink too. Their logo looks like the waste management logo. It all stinks. Get rid of it. I could never support a team by the name of Commanders. I will root against the team whose name is Commanders. It stinks. Absolutely blows. That's just, if it does not get changed, I will never support them again. I don't care if there's a new owner. I don't care if the quarterback leaves. I don't care if the head coach leaves. He must, the new owner must change the name. If he does not, I'm not a fan. So sorry. But Commander sucks. Number five, the final step that must be taken in order for Xander, myself, to become a fan of the Washington team once again, the team must find a new place to play other than FedEx Field, and it must not be at the taxpayer's expense. FedEx Field is located in Landover, Maryland. It was opened in 1997 or whatever. It is an absolute dump. Because the dummy Dan Snyder doesn't maintain it. It's not even, it's 25 years old. And it's got sewage leaking on fans. That's ridiculous. They need to get out of FedEx Field. And they need to find a stadium, land. Apparently, they're looking at Virginia. And you know what? The NFL, the owner of an NFL team, Daniel Snyder, can pay for their own stadium. You don't need any of the taxpayer money. You don't need any of it. So don't use it. Because we can use that money for better education, for paying our teachers more, or doing whatever we want. 
Because basically anything would be better than paying for a stupid stadium for the Washington Commanders. And let me tell you all, if it's still Dan Snyder and if it's still the Commanders and they build a new stadium and it's not taxpayer funded, I'm still not going to be a fan. All five of those steps must happen. Maybe not in order, but they all must happen. And then I might become a fan of the Washington football team once again. Maybe. Maybe. A sure thing. So I just wanted to lay all that out there for you all. Because a lot of people, maybe you're just listening to this for the first time and you're like, Xander, what is wrong with you? Why are you yelling about the Washington football team? Because I've supported them my entire life until recent years when things have just gotten too much. They suck too much. Their owner's a dummy. Everything just stinks about them. They had a racist nickname before and then they have a crappy nickname now. It's just terrible. It's just terrible, all of it. And it needs to change, or else I'm not going to be a fan anymore. I'm not a fan of any team right now, of football. I'm not really a fan of football either. But I can become a fan again. But all those things need to happen. And they better get on it, or else it's going to be years, decades, where I am still not a fan. Santa's facts! (laughs) So, first big prediction of the year. Kansas City Chiefs got that right. Thank you very much. Should have listened to the facts. And also, the Washington team, well, they have a new owner. That's good. They don't have a new stadium. They have a new quarterback. That's good. They don't have a new coach, although I think they will pretty soon. And they don't have a new name. The name is a deal breaker. The name, I mean, (laughs) I just said it. You just heard it. But the name is awful. I mean, it's absolute garbage. So I, yeah, that's that. By the way, Another casualty of 2023, listen to that clip. Undisputed with Skip and Shannon is no longer a thing. They went their separate ways. Well, Skip and Shannon shed a tear to that one. Then the next week, episode 94 became the most downloaded episode of the year. How about this? When our Xanners Facts NBA analyst Hillbilly joined the pod at the NBA's All-Star break to break down the biggest professional basketball headlines at the time, which included... LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers becoming the association's all-time leading scorer. He passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, another Laker, by scoring his 38,388th point. How about that? LeBron's still rolling, y'all. He's got, as of December 26, 39,363 career points. He's getting up close to 40,000. That's going to be the big, the next big milestone. I think. And also, how about that? Our most downloaded podcast of the year came when Hillbilly was on. So, just saying. And to wrap up the month, we spent episode 95 talking about Major League Soccer for, I think, what was the first time and what may have actually been the only time so far in this podcast history. You know, we love talking about soccer on this podcast, but MLS, not very often. But we did in February, and that was before we even knew that Lionel Messi would make his epic splash and sign with Inter-Miami, which basically made MLS the center of the soccer universe when he debuted in July. That was big time. And of course, I had to make a prediction back in February for who was going to win MLS Cup, which just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. And so who did I choose? That would be the Philadelphia Union, who didn't end up winning the whole thing. That would be the Columbus Crew 2023 MLS Cup champions, who I had at ninth out of 29 teams before the season even began, which I didn't, know, I didn't pick it right, 
but isn't too bad, to be honest. Like, come on, at least they didn't have him, like, outside of the playoffs. That would have been rough. The big surprise in MLS, though, was St. Louis City SC, the brand-new club, expansion club, who I predicted to finish last. They finished at the top of the Western Conference. They were absolutely incredible this season. So we'll see how they follow it up in 2024. And also in February, outside of the podcast, you may remember that whole commotion regarding the Chinese spy balloons that were hovering over the Americas. That happened in February. I probably jogged your memory with that one because I haven't heard about that in months. And I was doing the research on what happened in 2023. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember that. So that happened in February too. And to open up March, what came one of the more um, I guess fascinating podcasts we've ever done. It was certainly the most starstruck I've ever been when we invited a whole host of characters to talk about the role that artificial intelligence now plays in our society in episode 96. If you've already listened to this clip, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, get ready for just an intellectual adventure. Let me tell you. Let's play this clip from episode 96. Sanders Packs! All right, everyone, welcome back to the Xander's Facts Podcast. It is episode 96, and as I previously mentioned, we have a couple of special guests joining the podcast this week. They say they're some of the biggest guests we've ever had here on the podcast because we've got a couple of presidents joining the pod this week. So let's start with some introductions here. We first got the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. President Trump, thanks for coming on the podcast. That's right, it's me, your favorite president, Donald John Trump. Thank you, Xander, for having me on your great podcast. I've heard it hasn't really been that great of a podcast, but now that I am here, I think it will be one of the greatest podcasts anyone has ever heard. And I think you should thank me for that. Oh, zip it, Donald. This was a very fine podcast even before you got here. And frankly, your presence makes it worse. Okay, okay, okay. I haven't even introduced you yet. We've also got the 46th and current president of the United States, Joe Biden, President Biden, welcome. Thanks for having me, Xander. This is going to be a great time. And then we also have the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. President Obama, thanks for coming on the facts. Um, well, Xander, I really appreciate the opportunity to join your fine podcast with Donald and Joe. I think we're going to have a lively discussion, if you know what I mean. I want to thank all three of you for joining us here on this very special edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. It's the first Xander's Facts podcast powered by AI, whatever that means. But to have three presidents of the United States, the most powerful position in the world here, it's really cool. And even though you come from different parties and have different positions on issues, including from me for some, I'm glad we're able to do this. Yeah, whatever. I just want to let everyone know that these two fools stole the election from me. I should be the one who's president because everyone knows I was perhaps the greatest president ever, but also perhaps maybe even the most harassed president ever. Some may say it was Lincoln, but I don't think so. A lot of people are saying it was me. The man was shot in the back of the head, Donald. That's what the mainstream, lamestream media want you to think, but we definitely didn't teach that at Trump University. Okay, so now that we have the pleasantries out of the way... I wanted to talk about the power of artificial intelligence, or AI for short. And coming from some of the most powerful men the world has ever seen, you all should have some amazing perspectives. I mean, we've always had things like Google that use AI, but now we're in a world with personalized ads and chat GPT and things that are blowing our minds. I mean, people are even making TikTok videos of you three playing video games together. Oh, by the way, guys, I can't get on Fortnite tonight. Jill said I have to be in bed by nine and I still have to ask if I can buy the new battle pass. Of course. 
Sleepy Joe delivering as always. You're so sleepy. It doesn't matter. We'll do better without you because I'm level 150. But Donald, we'll need a third for trios. I don't trust you on duos. Okay, fine. Who are we going to get? Well, I was thinking... Wait, I have the perfect person. Hold on a sec. Okay, so while all that gets sorted out, I wanted to ask you all about how dangerous AI could be. I mean, it's cool and all that. The internet can spit out essays about topics we give it in just five seconds, and those TikTok videos are just hilarious. But there's also the risk of cheating and using this technology for harm. Like, these voice clones could be used for things like propaganda, or someone could make someone say something that they never said and could get into a lot of trouble. President Obama, what do you think about all this? Well, Xander, I absolutely share your concerns. I can tell you that uh, under my administration. We took steps to make sure that this sort of thing could be regulated and put under control. Of course, there's little you can do without limiting free speech. And there's a whole argument about whether these voice clones are legal or not. Because technically you aren't using someone's work, you're just using someone's voice. But now you can make, like let's say me, say that I don't support Ukraine. But I've reiterated my stance many times, I 100% support Ukraine, and I know Joe does too. But some random person, not me on the internet, can make an audio clip saying I don't, and that could go viral and cause massive damage. So, Xander, we're going to have to be very careful with how this technology evolves in the next few years. And I see that President Trump is still busy doing whatever. I'm about to bring you the best guest ever to your podcast besides me, Xander. Oh, great. So how about you, President Biden? What is your administration's view on all this? Well, Xander, it's certainly a problem. And I'd like to address one thing specifically. To all the young folks who keep portraying me as a noob who doesn't know how to play games on that Chinese app. Well, you're wrong. I've been an OG miner in Minecraft since the old days. I'm in the Champion League in Fortnite, and I've beat up Donald in like a million games. So let's get that out of the way. He's lying, Xander. He's not very good at any of those games. We have to carry him all the time. Are you sure, Barack? Because I've slayed the Ender Dragon before and carried you noobs with 20 kills and trios on Battle Night. And Hunter was helping you. You were probably even playing on his laptop. What was that? Oh, no. Yes, Donald, where are you? What's the nearest Hardee's? Uh, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. Why are you on this call? Well, I don't know who the hell you are, but my good friend Donald invited me on here because he said we were going to go to Hardee's, and that's the last place I had my phone because the FBI took my phone, and I rightly said that they stole the election from our great president, number 45. Xander, I invited him on here because he's been a fierce advocate of mine as we attempt to take back our country. A lot of people don't know this, but it's been rightfully stolen by the leftist commies, and we're going to take it back with pillows. Great pillows. A lot of people are saying they're the greatest. Well, I don't say that, and apparently my name is Sleepy Joe. That's because you're senile too, Joe. You can't remember what you sleep on for 20 hours a day. Okay, Donald, we all don't want the My Pillow guy on here. He's just a former addict who makes pillows and is clearly still loopy and has no role in this discussion on artificial intelligence. You have no clue, Barack. You don't know what it's like to have your phone taken by the FBI for spreading the truth. I thought I was just getting a healthy, yummy, triple-pound steak burger at Hardee's, and then I was swarmed by you and the deep state. Mike, would you shut up, man? No one cares about Hardee's. Everyone knows that Wendy's is clearly superior. Uh, excuse me, but I think I have the most fast food experience on this call. And the Big Macs, fish fillets, and milkshakes at McDonald's are so clear. Whopper, 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 whopper. It's pretty clear that none of you have even been to church's chicken. Hey, dumb we're not even talking about chicken. You should have mentioned White Castle. I mean, I think Five Guys has the best burgers, TBH. Yeah, but if I want to take Michelle, Sasha, and Malia to Five Guys, it'll cost me an arm and a leg. Oh, please, you're just poor. 
You don't even have a gold toilet that you can truth from. By the way, go follow me on Truth at Real Donald Trump, guys. And then go watch my show on Lindell TV. It's my very own channel on the dark web where I merged a cross with the American flag for the logo. It's great. Okay, Mike. Bye. Wait, no, not yet. I didn't get to tell you about our latest pillow, sir. Donald, please don't invite any more of your friends. We're trying to have a serious discussion. Sorry, Barry. Won't happen again. Okay, so President Trump, we haven't heard from you yet on the subject of artificial intelligence. What do you think about all of this? Well, I really do think it's a terrible thing for our country. This AU thingy we have is being manipulated by the radical left Democrats and their friends in order to harm me and my campaign for president. And by the way, I just want to let you know that I am running for president again in 2024 because there's a lot of people in this country who believe that the last election was unfairly stolen and that America is breaking apart because of the socialist policies of sleepy Joe Biden. And I can tell you that there's a massive movement in this country that will take us to the largest victory the world has ever seen because there's a lot of people who remember the great four years we had and now the terrible years we've had under this foolish old man. Who are you calling foolish orange man? At least I didn't get a comb over. Okay, guys, can we just be civil? Well, he started it. Okay, Donald, who is it now? I swear it's not from me. Yes, hello, it's me, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger of the great state of California. I'm not sure how I got on this call, but my agent just put me in front of the Zoom. Arnold, I'm not sure either, and that doesn't even sound like you either. Well, either way, I'm glad he's here, because even though Arnold comes from the Republican Party, and we disagree on a whole host of matters, I know that he'd be a great asset to our discussion. And Barack, we agree a lot, too. Like, I know we both hate Donald. Shut up, you old washed-up sack of dirt. I get could beat you behind the barn any day. I wouldn't say that if I were you. Yeah, have you even seen my muscles? Arnold, are you okay you don't sound right? Yeah, I think you've been stolen by the AU thingy. Donald, it's AI, and yeah, I think I'm going to kick you fake, Arnold. Wait, no. I am the Terminator. Wait, that actually sounded like him. Yeah, can we get Arnold back? I'd like to kick him right in there. Okay, so let's continue our discussion here. You know, guys, there's a lot of people who are worried that with AI technology continuing to advance and machines becoming smarter each and every day, millions and millions of jobs could be lost to machines. What are we going to do to combat that? Well, uh, first off, Xander, I wouldn't worry if I were you because I think that podcasts will always be run by real humans. I mean, there's a lot of proof that AI podcasts don't work that well. So I think that what we have to do is determine which jobs and sectors could rely more on machines and AI and start to... Okay, can I answer the question, Barack, because everyone heard it addressed specifically to me. What are you talking about, Donald? He did not address that question to you. Yeah, Donald, you're really failing this cognitive test right now. Um, excuse me, but I absolutely aced that test. Man, woman, person, camera, TV. And I'll have you know that during my presidency, everyone came up to me thanking me in tears, crying for being such a cognitive genius. I mean, there were so many people talking about it. A lot of people didn't know it, but a lot of people did know that I truly was and am a genius. And I can bring back on my friend, Mr. My Pillow Guy, to prove it because he knows. Donald, I truly have no idea what that was about, but I can say that you absolutely are a cognitive genius. Ben Shapiro, could you go back to your own silly podcast? Xander, my podcast is not silly. It does like a hundred times the numbers that your so-called facts do. And plus, I can talk really, 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 really fast, which means I am the smartest person alive besides Donald, of course, and win every argument. So hit me, you libtard. Okay, could you define critical race theory for me? Oh, well... Uh, everyone knows that it's the radical left woke mob brainwashing our children with thinking that white people are evil and scary. Yep, that's what I thought. 
you know, Donald, you better know what you're doing because I have to go blow my sacks out at the birds in like five minutes or Hillary's going to get real ornery. Yes, Bill, we just have to figure out where we can find our snipers so we can take out that tower in the distance. Uh, Donald, are you seriously playing Warzone with Bill Clinton right now? Yeah, you got a problem, Meathead? Well, I've got a problem, Donald. You didn't even invite me. Yeah, I just got my laptop back from Hunter, so now I can play. Yeah, and Donald, I thought we were going to play Madden in like an hour. Oh, would you all shut up? I've got to get my round of golf in later today. Yesterday, I think I had at least three hole-in-ones, so I'm really trying for four today. And then I've got to go get dinner at KFC. I think we're going to have a bucket of chicken tonight. And by we, I mean me, because I'm going to eat it by myself while Melania is off with her really nice new guy friend. Well, that sounds nice, Donald. Oh, my God, who now? Hey, it's the nation's best governor, Ron DeSantis. I'm down here in the free state of Florida. Who is this? Oh, my God, Ron. I love you so much. I think about you all the time at night when I'm alone in my bed because my wife sleeps in another room. I love you. Oh, go screw yourself, Ron DeSanctimonious. I made you, and now you've decided to turn against me and run for president because you think you're more MAGA than me, but I created MAGA Ronald. Donald, I brought Ron into this Zoom because I think you two need to work out your differences. It's clear that you're in this love-hate relationship, and it's very unhealthy. Hey, I've had three wives. I think I know what an unhealthy relationship looks like. By the way, I don't know if y'all have seen this on Netflix yet, but I watched season three of Outer Banks. Hey, 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 no spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. Well, I was only going to say that I can't believe that they brought Big John back just for him to die at the end. It was so disappointing. Donald, he said no spoilers. Okay, but to be honest, you're kind of a loser if you haven't watched it yet. It came out like a week ago. You know what, Donald? You're right. You want to talk about an unhealthy relationship? How about Sarah cheating on John B. with Topper like that? Wait, but that happened last season. Yeah, and it happened again. Christ, Sarah. Yeah, totally. Sarah does not deserve John B. at all. Honestly, I'm just shipping Giara this season, so let's hope they don't break up in season four. Well, hopefully none of these shows are Disney-related because I just took over Disney's special district from the woke, radical-left mob that is brainwashing our children with CRT and different Disney princesses. Nah, man, but I've still got to watch the new season of Mandalorian. It just started today. Bill, I've heard that's really good. Does Hillary like it? How the hell would I know? I mean, if you aren't watching Drive to Survive right now, you're kind of sus. I mean, like, seriously, they find all the gold and then blow it up with the guy who Okay, said- Donald, you've seriously got to stop spoiling the show. We've moved on. All right, so I think this is a good natural stopping point for our discussion. I'll just ask you all for some final thoughts. Just remember, everyone, that woke goes to die in Florida. Yeah, Ron, we get it. Your state is kind of a nasty, humid swampland. Wait, I drained the swamp. And the beautiful Mar-a-Lago is here, even though our governor is so disgraceful to me, and a lot of people know it and are truthing about it. You take that back, Donald. Ron is a fantastic culture warrior who is taking the left down at every turn, and it's glorious to watch. Bill, what are you doing on the computer? Uh Uh-oh, I gotta go. I just want to know if any of you all want to go get some ice cream after this. I was thinking of some chocolate chocolate chip. I'm down as long as it's nearby the Hardee's. Okay, my pillow, how'd you get back here? You must have forgotten, Xander, how I said I'd invite him back to defend me. Okay, but we're wrapping up. And you know what, Xander? I'm really glad I came on your great podcast for this fine discussion. And I hope that everyone everywhere will listen to the Xander's Facts podcast. But they won't in Florida because it's woke. Ron, I had no idea you were in here. Do you want to go grab a burger at the Hardee's? I'm sure the FBI guys are gone by now. Good night, guys. Joe, it's 5 p.m. Hey, guys, it's Christian Pulisic. Pully goat, I love you. Santa's facts! Y'all, I have to, every time, every time I play that back, I have to listen to it all the way through because I think it's, it's just incredible. No, that was not real. 
That was AI. I basically, I talk about it on that podcast, episode 96, you should listen to that, but I use this website, basically, where I input videos of people talking, and then it comes up with AI-generated voices, I can make them say whatever I want. So that was all done, scripted by me. Oh boy. And listen, y'all, I use ChatGPT like a ton now, and the infiltration of AI is only going to grow, but you probably didn't learn any about any of that from that segment, so I do apologize for that. But also, on that same episode, we talked about the lawsuit against Fox News that was brought forth by Dominion Voting Systems, and when I wrote about this lawsuit back in February on the newsletter, Sanders Weekend Facts, it has now become our most read edition of the newsletter ever, so how about that? What ultimately happened with that case, though? Well, right before the case was set to go to trial in April, Fox and Dominion settled. Fox paid out $787.5 million to Dominion, and days later, the network's biggest star anchor, Tucker Carlson, was fired. So there you have it. And on episode 98, I was joined as I am every March by my very own brother Andrew to exclusively unveil our March Madness brackets. And who did we pick? To win the national championship, well, here's the clip. Sanders packs. All right, so here we go, Andrew. We are now down to three final games. Everybody's like, thank goodness. We don't have to listen to these fools anymore. It's the final four. I've got Alabama Duke. You've got Arizona and Duke. And I'm going to go first here in this final four game. So in the SEC championship game, when Brandon Miller, I don't know if you saw this, but Brandon Miller took off from basically the free throw line mm-hmm. and slammed it in, quite literally slammed the door shut on Texas A&M, I knew Alabama was going to be in the Final Four. I mean, they've averaged the seventh most points this year, they take the fourth most threes, and they rank in the top four nationwide in both field goal and three-point percentage defense, adding on to all that. So when the tides start rolling, there's Nothing Duke can do to stop Nate Oates' squad. So I've got Alabama going to the national championship game. So I have Arizona and Duke. Arizona is, of course, a good team, scoring 80-plus points most of their games. I feel like they haven't really gone against a defensive team like Duke, though, who, I mean, two seven-footers at the same time, that's going to be hard to go against. I feel like John Shire... He just needed to settle in as a new head coach. That's why they were struggling at the beginning of the season. He was probably nervous. Now he's settled in, and I think that Duke is going to win this game. That's what I said in my preseason preview, I remember, because North Carolina did that last year under Hubert Davis. They started out slow, and then they got really hot. Yeah. And that's what Duke did this year. They started out slow, and they got really hot in their first-year head coach. Yeah. But you got a five-seed going to the national championship. Yes, wow. I do. How about that? All right, so... The second Final Four matchup. Okay, so I have Texas versus UCLA. I think this one's going to come down to the wire. And I think that Texas is going to win. Even though UCLA has very good guys, guys like Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell on the perimeter. And, I mean, Texas has Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter. And I think that's going to be a really good matchup. And down low. I think that Texas might have a little bit of an advantage, and I think that Texas is going to win. So I've got Texas and UConn. And by the way, the Final Four is being played in Houston this year. 
but I've got Texas and UConn. Both Adama Sinogo and Jordan Hawkins averaged 16 points a game for UConn. Tristan Newton has two triple doubles this year. UConn have been more efficient shooting the ball this year than Texas. They're 10th in points per possession. Their defense, I think, is going to have a tough time dealing with everyone the Longhorns can throw at them because Texas has beaten everyone in the Big 12 at least once. They are behind, and there's only nine other teams, but still, you're talking about teams like Kansas State, Kansas, Tet Baylor. Behind a deep and experienced team, the Longhorns can easily go eight or nine deep this year. They start, I mean, starting out with seniors Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, Serge Jabari Rice, who all average over 10 points per game. Serge Jabari Rice, the Big 12 Sixth Man of the Year, by the way. He's starting now, though. Well, there you go. Sophomore Tyrese Hunter does, too. He averages over 10 points a game. And don't forget the two other seniors, Dylan DeSue and Christian Bishop, both of whom have over 20 blocks down low. DeSue has 45 this year. There's nowhere really that I think Texas stands out as excellent, but they're just a completely balanced juggernaut. And only once has UConn made the Final Four and not won the national championship. That was in 2009. It's not going to happen this year because Texas is going to win a close fight. Texas moves on to the national championship. Wow, we both have Texas, a two-seed. Wow. Fact, Nugget. Wow, how about that? So, national championship. Andrew has Duke, Texas. I have Alabama and Texas. I'm going. Drum roll. Tell me, tell me. Texas. So, although Duke has a very good young lineup, I feel like the youth is what might get to them. I feel like the pressure might be on for them. Texas has a lot of seniors, and I feel like that experience is just going to lead their way to a national championship win. So everybody knows that I picked the last two national champions correctly. Everybody knows that because Sanders facts, of course. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start this little ramble. The stat that I've seen going around, I've been on TikTok. Everybody on TikTok's like, here's who's going to win. And let me tell you why. And I just scroll past them because they have no clue. Exactly. The one stat that I've seen that's gone around social media that is true and factual that I believe in is that since 2002, Every national champion has been in the both in the top 40 of Ken Palm's offensive rankings and the top 22 of Ken Palm's defensive rankings. And Ken Palm was started in 2002, by the way, so that's why it goes back to 2002. There are seven teams this year that fit that criteria. Those are Creighton, Houston, Kansas, UCLA, UConn, and Alabama and Texas. So that doesn't really narrow me down here. (laughs) But the last time that a number one overall seed, that's Alabama, won the title was in 2013. That was Louisville. And technically, they have not won that title anymore, according to the NCAA. Uh Uh-oh. But actually, seven of the last 18 overall number ones actually lost in the Sweet 16 or earlier. But here's Alabama, and they've got Brendan Miller, but they've also got Mark Sears, and Noah Clowney, who averaged double-digit points, and a team that should win the rebounding battle. But to me, there's something that just makes Texas seem special. It might be because they are on their second coach this year. Chris Beard was fired because he did some bad things, and now he's at Ole Miss for whatever reason. But Rodney Terry, since he took over in December, has done an excellent job. Maybe it's because the Longhorns have something that I always look for in a championship team. 
which is a ton of depth. I can't believe I'm going to say it, Andrew, but I agree with you. Oh my god. For the third straight year, the Big 12 will win the national championship. Texas will be the national champion this year. The first time that a conference has won three straight titles since 1992 to 94. That was the ACC. Texas wins. I've got 78 to 74. Texas is going to be the national champion. You're welcome. Xander's facts. I was 74 to 71. Pretty similar. Very close. Texas will win. And how about that? Andrew's going to get it right this year, too, for the first time. How about that? Oh, my gosh. Let's go. Congratulations. Xander's facts. So, sadly, no. Texas did not win the national championship, y'all. That was one of the bads of this year. Failing to predict the national champion in men's college basketball correctly for the third straight year. Because, y'all, previous year, it was Kansas. I got that right. Previous year before that, it was Baylor. I got that right. So, listen, two out of three, that ain't bad. But anyways, we are going to start a new streak in 2024. How about that? Because the winner of the national championship in college basketball this year was UConn, who I had in the final four. So, I feel like that still counts. But, again, anyway. The very next episode was episode 99, when we took a look back at the breakthrough in fusion, which I think has to be one of the highlights of the past year. Scientists in the National Ignition Facility in California were able to produce a nuclear fusion reaction that released more energy than it used for the first time ever, which is a process called ignition. And while that did ultimately happen back in 2022 in December, Reporting on the event, including a 60 Minutes piece, didn't come until 2023, and scientists have been able to reach ignition at least three additional times this year. And so, that's a big deal. Ultimately, though, mass adoption of fusion energy is still a long way off. There's still a long ways to go. But that breakthrough shows that we are making progress on the goal of creating a new, clean energy source that can help replace fossil fuels, which we love on this podcast. And then we turn the calendar to April, where we celebrated the 100th episode of this very podcast. And what a podcast it was, y'all. That was one of the more fun ones I've done this year, I think, because we talked about a wide range of issues. Usually we focus on just one or two topics each podcast. We talked about a ton on episode 100. We talked about Donnie Boy's first indictment, Mass shootings, the Tennessee Three, what woke is, the free state of Florida. That's a ton of stuff, y'all. And y'all probably remember the Tennessee Three, the three Democratic members of the Tennessee House of Representatives who were threatened with expulsion for rallying with gun control advocates after a mass shooting had taken place in Nashville, an event that the Speaker of the Tennessee House, a Republican, Cameron Sexton, claimed was, quote, at least equivalent, maybe worse, unquote, than the events on January 6, 2021, at the U.S. Capitol. Which, okay. Now, two of the three were expelled, but have since been reinstated in special elections by the voters in their districts. Both were black men, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, and the member who was not expelled just so happens to be a white woman, Gloria Johnson. Is that? I don't know. It's Tennessee. So that all happened. Oh, and by the way, as of this Monday, the U.S. has suffered through 649 mass shootings in 2023. This year, 42,151 people have died from gun-related events in the U.S., whether that be from homicide, murder, suicide, or an unintentional shooting. But turning the page 
to, well, I guess this isn't really lighthearted, but some of the most fun I had recording the podcast this year was reading some of the messages that former president, Mr. Donnie Boy, decided to spew out on his Truth Social regarding his first indictment in New York. Y'all remember all of that. But just take a listen to this clip from episode 100. Sanders Packs! There have been investigations going on with this man for years, and now we get to the part where he's been charged. Like, as I said, he's been impeached twice, is currently under several criminal investigations in multiple jurisdictions, not just New York, and has now been charged with crimes. You know, this is also the person who, in the two elections that he's run in, as the Republican nominee for president, has not won the most votes you know, actual people, not electoral votes, because he won once. Not the most votes, actually. And according to the 538 polling aggregate, he's 16 points underwater on his approval rating. Whoops. And, you know, the current president is, you know, his approval rating's not too hot either, but it's not that bad. So, you know, you would think that given the fact that he's now been charged with crimes, 34 counts, of falsifying business records, you would think that his party, the Republican Party, would be like, all right, we've had enough, we had four years, and now we've had this, whatever it was, we're just going to abandon you, and we're going to search for another leader in our party. You would think that would happen, right? Like, that would be the most sane thing to happen, yes? Turns out, though, they haven't. Because Republicans, even those you know, who haven't been quite too friendly to Donnie Boy since he left office, have basically rushed to his aid in recent days. That would include, of course, no surprise here, though, a congresswoman from Georgia whose name, you may be able to guess, is Marjorie. That's all we're going to say. Marjorie went so far as to actually go to New York on Tuesday. She's not from New York. She works in D.C., is from Georgia, and hold her own pro-Trump rally. Oh my gosh. Which she then had to leave after just 10 minutes, because it turns out that the crowd in New York City was not very pro-Trump. Surprise, surprise. But Marjorie also made a trip to 60 Minutes this past Sunday for, I don't know whatever reason, but she had some words to say to the person who interviewed her, Leslie Stahl, about Democrats. Listen to this. The Democrats are a party of pedophiles. I would definitely say so. They support grooming children. They are not pedophiles. Why would you say that? Democrats Democrats support, even Joe Biden, the president himself, supports children being sexualized and having transgender surgeries. Sexualizing children is what pedophiles do to children. Wow. Okay. What a, what a comeback there by Leslie Stahl. Wow. Okay. That's all she could say. Like, are you not going to push back on <laughs> pedophiles? Oh my gosh, y'all. Can you believe it? I mean, I had no clue. But I guess, wow. The Democrats are pedophiles. Can you believe that? Straight from the source. Whoa. Well, ooh. Okay, so that wasn't the only thing I have a clip for because uh, she also had this to say. On Tuesday morning, when she was in New York, she was in a car being interviewed by some, it's like a right-wing news channel, but it's not even a news channel. It's, I don't know where you even watch this thing, but she was talking about Donnie Boy. Listen to this. 
President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was arrested and murdered by uh, the Roman government. That's right, y'all. You heard it here first. Donald John Trump is equivalent, maybe even superior, to Jesus. I don't think so. I mean, I bet you didn't know that. How about that? So, I, I know this is an audio medium, so you can't see, but at the end of the interview, they're getting out of the car, and I said this was some right-wing obscure news, news, in quotes, whatever, but the interviewer kissed her on the cheek. Like, I'm not lying, y'all. Like, look this up. It's, it's out there. It's the video. It's real. Like, that's, I don't think that's journalism. That seems to be... I don't know. I don't know if you saw... I posted on my TikTok, Rudy, you all know Rudy, Giuliani, was on Newsmax, and the interviewer starts the interview by saying she loves him. What is that? It's Mayor Rudy Giuliani, always amazing to see you. Love you. Sorry. I'm, oh. I, I'm, a, I'm just so honored, always as always, to uh, interview you, sir. Like, if you love him... Well, uh, that first off, why would you love Rudy? But also, why... <laughs> Why would you love Rudy? Why would you then interview him and say you're a news organization? Like, I don't, I think that right there might be the disqualifier. Like, if you say you love the person you're interviewing and it's Rudy Giuliani, that might, that might not actually be news you can trust. I think. I don't know. We were talking about Marjorie, though. She was at the Donnie Boy. It wasn't really... I don't know what it was. He just went to the courthouse. Of course, there were at least a couple of Donnie Boy supporters out there. Even if George Santos... He couldn't find them. You know George Santos, the guy. He's out there doing whatever. He didn't have a good time, though. He had to leave, and this is what he said. I I'm doing nothing. I'm leaving. Are you coming back at all later today? No, because you guys make it unbearable to be here. Why are you here then? I came to support the president, but... No, I'm not coming back because you all make it unbearable. You're mean. The news media, what? I don't know. We, George Santos, I don't know. He was there supporting Dottie Boy for whatever reason. I don't know. But there were, there were, some, there were some of his supporters there because I saw someone brought a sign Outside of the courthouse, obviously this is a audio medium, as I said, so you can't see it, but there's pictures online. The sign said, Bragg's Jews, Michael Cohen, Alan Weisselberg, David Pecker. Now you're probably like, what in the world? But let me just give you some context. Bragg is Alvin Bragg. He is the Manhattan District Attorney who's prosecuting the case. The woke prosecutor. And then Cohen, Weisselberg, and Pecker are Donnie Boy's former confidants who apparently flipped on Donnie Boy. Or, I know at least one or two of them did. Maybe, I don't know. But apparently they're Bragg's Jews. I don't think that's very nice. Or, I think that might be anti-Semitic. But I mean, what do I know? I mean, seriously. So... You know, that's going on. Alvin Bragg is the prosecutor, as I said. He's prosecuting the case, but ultimately, the grand jury decided to indict him. He's just prosecuting. And so, you know, D 
Donnie Boy's friends haven't been too nice to Alvin Bragg. They've called him, I believe, yes, a woke prosecutor, doesn't know what he's doing, is terrible, woke. We'll get into that in a second, the term woke. But I think that Donnie Boy has actually been saying some things about him, and I'm not so sure that he should be. He's been very active on his true social platform recently, and I just read that he, Forbes or whatever, does the net worth, and they estimated he's lost $700 million in his net worth because True Social hasn't done so well, so that's not too good. But, well, I guess the way you, it might be good for you, the way you think, maybe not too good for him, but maybe good for you if you don't like him. But on the money, ultimately, he said some interesting things on his True Social platform. You may not have seen them, so I'm going to read a couple of these to you. Now imagine I'm Donnie Boy, typing, and then I decide, read it over, and I decide, yes, I'm going to send this out. So, these are just a couple of the things he said, which I found to be interesting, to say the least. So, here we go! This was the first thing I'm going to read. He truthed, I don't know, this out. Back when the indictment first dropped, he said, quote, These thugs and radical left monsters have just indicated... Pause. Yes, it did say, it did not say indicted. He wrote indicated, which, uh, yeah, in all caps. The Resume. The 45th president of the United States of America and the leading Republican candidate by far for the 2024 nomination for president. This is an attack on our country, the likes of which has never been seen before. It is likewise a continuing attack on our once free and fair elections. The USA is now a third world nation, a nation in serious decline. So sad. Unquote. So I had to yell that because it was at all caps. But first off, I like how he did mention him as the leading Republican candidate by far. Because if you didn't know, he's running for president again. Good to know. And that was not in all caps. Neither was thugs and radical left monsters. Which, <laughs> radical left, first off, we've heard radical left that term forever. But radical left monsters is a new one. I did not know that the radical left monsters was this thing. I guess I'm just out of the loop on whatever Donnie Boy's group is saying. Indicated, though, was in all caps, and it was, he meant indicted, I think. He spelled it I-N-D-I-C-A-T-E-D, which is indicated. So, uh, whoops. And then he did put in all caps that we are a third world nation now. That is now confirmed because Donnie Boy did put it on his true social. We're a nation in serious decline. So sad. He did uh, express some disappointment about that at the end with those two words and an exclamation point there at the end. So there you go. But there's also an article link when she shared in another true social. The article link had, you know, like when you see on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, an article link which has a picture, a preview of the article. And this one had a picture of him on the left, Donnie Boy, swinging a baseball bat. And then it had the prosecutor, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, and the picture on the other side of that image. So there's, you know, that could be taken as a threat, I guess. I don't know. There's all that. Of course, he did 
He did type this before the indictment was even handed down. He said, quote, What kind of person can charge another person, in this case, a former president of the United States, who got more votes than any sitting president in history and leading candidate by far for the Republican Party nomination with a crime, when it is known by all that no crime has been committed and also that potential death and destruction in such a false charge could be catastrophic for our country? Why and who would do such a thing? Only a degenerate psychopath that truly hates the USA, unquote. So in that truth, only the word no was capitalized. There was only two letters. It's the truth. But he hit back on one of his biggest, greatest hits, I guess. Uh, got more votes than any sitting president in history, which is true, of course. Didn't get the most in the election. He was running in, which is why he has to say that. I guess that was true. Leading candidate by far for the Republican Party nomination. He says again, another greatest hit. And then Alvin Bragg is a degenerate psychopath that truly hates the USA, mind you. But then on Monday of this week, he said of Alvin Bragg, quote, Wow, District Attorney Bragg just illegally leaked the various points, and complete information on the pathetic indictment against me. He spelled indictment right that time. I know the reporter, and so unfortunately does he. This means that he must be immediately indicted. Now, if he wants to really clean up his reputation, he will do the honorable thing and, oh my gosh, as district attorney, indict himself. He will go down in judicial history and his Trump Hating wife will be, I am sure, very proud of him. Unquote. So, wow. That's how it starts. Wow. So, I just want to note that there's actually no factual evidence to back up the claim that Bragg leaked the indictment, which Donnie Boy spelled correctly in that one, thankfully. He didn't use all caps there. Um, but then he said that he will do the honorable thing, or he should and indict himself, which is, which would just be, wow. And then, his wife gets dragged into the mix because she is Trump-hating, which I don't know how he found that out, but, uh, okay. So there's that one. And then, there's another one. Remember I mentioned all those other investigations that are going on of him. But one of them is currently being helmed by a special prosecutor for the U.S. Department of Justice for federal crimes, Jack Smith. Now, Donnie Boy decided to talk about Jack Smith at a truth, which, okay, he decided to say, quote, Speaking of leaks, see, these two go together. Special prosecutor, prosecutor is in quotes, Jack Smith, what did his name used to be? Question mark. Leaked massive amounts of information to the Washington Compost. <laughs> I'm sorry. Compost. This is illegal, and I assume this radical left lunatic, much to the chagrin of his Trump hating wife and family, will be <laughs> prosecuted? He is a totally biased thug who should be loose on the Biden documents hidden in Chinatown and the 1,850 boxes 
secretly stored in Delaware, which Biden refuses to give up. Biden is guilty of obstruction. I am not. Unquote. I'm sorry, y'all. I couldn't hold it together. I mean, that one is that one might be the best one I've read uh, until I get to the next one. But oh my gosh. I mean, let's just go through this. Why is prosecutor in quotes? And then why in parentheses is what did his name used to be? Question mark. What does that mean? I mean, that. Oh my gosh. And then this is a new one because we have the failing New York Times, but now we have the Washington Compost, C O M P O S T, which I never heard of before. The Washington Compost. That's pretty clever. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's actually, that's pretty good. I'll give him that one. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay. So, along with Alvin Bragg, isn't this incredible? Both Alvin Bragg and Jack Smith have Trump-hating wives. Can you believe that? And Jack Smith has a Trump-hating family, too. He's a totally biased thug. Thug comes out again. Wow. And then... So Donnie Boy apparently had a speech at Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday night, and CNN was covering for whatever reason. And I saw a little bit of it, and he was talking about Biden documents hidden in Chinatown. He said Chinatown. I was like, I've never... What are you talking about? I have no clue what he's talking about. I mean, that's just like... Biden's guilty of obstruction. I am not, he says. I don't know. I don't know. That's... Wow. Okay. So, there's that one. I've also got a couple more to read. I'm sorry, y'all. But these are cracking me up. And I've, I wrote these down, word for word, on my fact sheet. And I'm still laughing reading these again. Okay, so, he then decided to have some words about the judge. The judge, in his case, he decided to truth about. Juan Merchant is his name. Uh, okay, let's uh, read this. You might need to turn down the volume for this one because it's a little loud. Very unfair venue with some areas that voted 1% Republican. This case should be moved to nearby Staten Island would be a very fair and secure location for the trial. Additionally, the highly partisan judge and his family are well-known Trump haters. He was an unfair disaster. I'm sorry. On a previous Trump-related case, Woodbrook Hughes gave horrible jury instructions and impossible to deal with during the witch hunt trial. His daughter worked for Kamala, Kamala's in quotes, and now the Biden-Harris campaign, Kangaroo Court, three exclamation points, unquote. Calm down, bruh. All right, so... Um, he starts off by just saying very unfair venue, like we were supposed to know what he's talking about, which we do know what he's talking about, but I guess he made that assumption. Um, and now the judge is highly partisan. And listen, we had Alvin Bragg. His wife is apparently a Trump hater. Jack Smith, his wife and family are apparently Trump haters. Now the judge's family are well-known Trump haters. I mean, how about that? His daughter worked for Kamala. Why is Kamala in quotes? That has got to be racist. I mean, I don't understand why you would put Kamala in quotes. That has to be racist. And then Kangaroo Court. Why would you talk about the judge? Oh, um, okay. So I've got another, just a few more, y'all. He also wrote, quote, the corrupt DA has no case. What he does have is a venue where it is impossible for me to get a fair trial. It must be changed. And a Trump-hating judge 
hand-selected, get this, by the Soros-backed DA, he must be changed. Also, has the DOJ working in the DA's office? Unprecedented, unquote. Okay, so, corrupt DA, we've established that, yes. It is impossible for Donnie Boy to get a fair trial. It must be changed, he says. Trump-hating judge. He refers to himself in the third person quite often. Not so much in these, but he defend he got that's third person right there. Sand selected by the Soros back DA. George Soros. I thought we were years behind that. I mean, George Soros was the boogeyman for years. He's back now. Wow. How about that? <laughs> Unprecedented. DOJ is working in the DA's office, apparently. I don't know. So then Sunday. One of Trump's lawyers, Joe Tecapino, made the rounds. He was on CNN. He said, quote, I have no issue with this judge whatsoever. He has a very good reputation, unquote. Then on ABC News, he said, quote, do I think the judge is biased? Of course not, unquote. So um, maybe you should have told your client that and not let him go on his little whatever and just spout all this stuff because it's now in the public record. and uh, uh, Oh boy. And then, of course, this is yesterday, Tuesday, he decided to type on his way to the courthouse. He said, quote, heading to Lower Manhattan, the courthouse. Seems so surreal. Wow. They are going to arrest me. Can't believe this is happening in America. MAGA. Unquote. Okay, so I'm thankfully he specified where he was going, the courthouse. Uh, surreal. Wow. They're going to arrest him. I guess he's just realizing that for the first time, even though he's surrendering. Uh, can't, he can't believe this is happening in America. And then at the end, just a MAGA. Like, um, okay, I don't know. So, wait, okay, that's it, y'all. That's all the Truth Social. There were a bunch in there, actually. There was more than I thought. Holy cow, that was, uh, yeah, that was, I feel like... You know, usually I think we've thought that he might be a little crazy, but that's like, he might have a serious mental problem or something. Like, I don't, what was that? America. Sanders facts. Oh, man, y'all, one of, one of my weakest moments of the podcast this year is when I, I just couldn't hold it together. I mean, that stuff was just, come on. And then the very next podcast was our second most downloaded episode of the year. And what did that have in common with our most downloaded podcast of the year? I guess NBA basketball and our Xander's Facts NBA analyst, Hillbilly. It marked the return of Hillbilly to the pod, where we previewed the NBA playoffs and picked our NBA champions. So let's see how that turned out from episode 101. Xander's Facts. Nuggets. And Bucks. Big game alert! Oh boy. Both of us in the NBA Finals, the one seeds, if this happened, it would be the first time since 2016 that, you know, in the 2016 Finals, we're going to look back on as, you know, legendary for Cavaliers and Warriors. Warriors up 3-1, Cavs come back, win Game 7, the LeBron block in Oakland in that Game 7. I don't know, Hillbilly, but these are two really, maybe not, uh, you know, the gravitas that that Cavaliers-Warriors series had for the Bucks and the Nuggets, but two one seeds should be really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should, but I don't 
think it's going to live up to the hype. I, I oh. think that Milwaukee's going to shred them. I think they'll win it in five. Oh. Um, I think that, you know, a, a problem that Denver has is their interior defense. Jokic, you know, God love him. His, his advanced stats are just the best in every category, but he is not a rim defender. They don't, Aaron Gordon's an okay rim defender, but they don't really have rim defense. That's a massive problem when Giannis Antetokounmpo comes to town. I mean, he is going to just shred them for that. Nobody can stay in front of Giannis. And if you don't have somebody that can really make Giannis think twice about dunking, it's just over. And he's going to have, I think, very efficient games throughout the series that's going to really set the tempo for the team. And I just don't. And then on defense, they, they will be able to do enough to slow down Denver to make them more inefficient. Uh, I think Milwaukee will run right through them. Really? All right. Well, that's your opinion. <laughs> but me, the Nuggets, as you said earlier, Hubbley, shot 50.4% from the field this year. That was not just the highest in the league this year. It was the highest we've seen in a regular season since the Jazz back in 1994 and 1995 shot at a 51.2% clip from the field. Judge Xander. So legendary historic shooting from the Nuggets this year. But when you take a look at teams that have to, that can win the NBA Finals, and I like to talk about this a lot with my March Madness brackets, to actually, you know, make it to the end, you have to have depth. And I think the Nuggets have that, but they've also got the star power that they need too, with Jokic and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., assuming they're healthy, the reason they're, you know, they're up here and they could make it to the finals, though, is because they've been healthy. And Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who has one and a half steals per game, they were fourth in three-point percentage this year with Jokic. They were also fourth in points in the paint this year. So, even though Hillbilly loves the Bucks, and they had the longest winning streak in the NBA this year, and they were top in the NBA in rebounds this year, and this would be their third finals win, I'm going to go with the Denver Nuggets in their first ever NBA Finals appearance to win the NBA Finals. How about that? Sanders facts. Well, um, that's your opinion. Sanders facts. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you know, you say they have the better, um, they, or that they have the depth to do it. I think Milwaukee clearly has better depth. I mean, well, better. Den- Denver's got a better, a more well-rounded starting five. Like they don't have a problem in their starting five the way that Milwaukee does with Grayson Allen. Um, well, I can't root for Grayson Allen. No, never. Please. <laughs> Actually, it's <laughs> funny mean, because we were, we went to the game in DC and obviously you got a lot of ACC fans in DC and a lot of Maryland fans too, who hate Duke and Grayson yeah. Allen was, yeah, <laughs> did not get the Best reactions. He's not a he's not a likable guy. I mean, you don't accidentally trip people that often. You just don't. <laughs> no, like at some point, it. it's intentional. But you know, they when you get past their starting five on Denver, it gets really shallow really fast. Bruce Brown is great. He's a mm. great great player coming off the bench. Their next best player coming off the bench is a rookie named Christian Brown. Oh, from Kansas. He's a sure, national he's, champion, Hillbilly. He's a rookie well, in the NBA Finals. 
probably your second best player coming off the bench. Please. That's a real problem. When compared to that, Milwaukee's bringing Joe Ingles, Pat Connaughton, Jay Crowder, Bobby Portis, who I think should be the sixth man of the year this year. They are truly deep. I, that's going to be a problem for Denver as well. They're all just names, please. Give me a break. <laughs> Sanders Facts! Well, well, well. Who won the NBA Finals? That would be the Denver Nuggets, right? Who picked the Bucks? Who lost in the first round? By the way, couldn't be me. Because I picked the champion Nuggets. Because again, listen y'all. Xander's facts. But I'd also encourage you to listen to episode 102, the next episode of the podcast we did, which is where I broke down the Restrict Act, which is the bill that would basically ban TikTok in the U.S. Now, obviously, it hasn't gone anywhere. I'm still using TikTok on a daily basis. If you read the newsletter this past Sunday, you'd know that Congress passed a total of 27 laws that President Biden signed this year, and this bill was not one of them. 27 is a very low number, lowest number in modern times. Also in April, Montana passed legislation that banned TikTok, the first state to do so, although enforcement of that law has not taken place because it is currently held up in the courts. And in May, the political drama returned. Y'all, we talked about how close the U.S. government was to defaulting on its own debt on episode 104, which at the time, I didn't know if we were going to or not. We, of course, didn't, as we know now, but we were close enough to where it was really spooking people out on if it was going to happen or not. Now, that would have been an economic disaster. Then we would have entered a recession, but we didn't. So, yay, I guess. Because it didn't happen, I guess. We cleared the lowest bar possible. Wonderful. And then on episode 105, we talked about education. Specifically a group that I believe is now in the mainstream now, in terms of the knowledge people have about them. Moms for Liberty, also known as Ku Klux Karens, I've now heard. Well, Moms for Liberty hasn't had the best end to 2023, have they? They've... I mean, listen, while they've been spreading false rumors about schools like the existence of grooming children to become gay and the presence of litter boxes in classrooms, that's not true, one of their co-founders was just caught up in a sex scandal with her husband earlier this month, so oopsie-daisy. And then episode 106 was another one I got excited about. I discussed taxes because everybody loves filing their taxes, right? Oh my gosh, it was so exciting to talk about. That is not true. But I did detail the steps that the IRS is taking right now to make the process much easier and less expensive. Go listen to that podcast if you're interested in all that. And then we turn the page to June, which started out as a massive soccer month for the pod, by the way. Our Xander's Facts soccer analyst Emma Adams came on the podcast, episode 108, to talk about all the latest soccer happenings, which we love to do, of course. And then we did something we hadn't done before, ever, on Xander's Facts. You may remember, back in June, the U.S. played in the semifinals and the final of the CONCACAF Nations League, the U.S. men's national team. How about that? They won both games against Mexico and Canada, by the way. And I recorded my immediate thoughts right after both matches, and I posted them on the podcast feed and on YouTube. It was unfiltered, unedited, and I may have been going a little crazy. But you know what? They did pretty good numbers on YouTube. And I said I was going to try and do more of those, which ultimately, as you all know by now, hasn't really happened yet. But it is something I want to do. 
So expect big things next year, y'all. I want to do more of those instant reactions to at least U.S. soccer. But also, you know what? It was, it was earlier this month. We did our first YouTube lives. I don't even know if I talked about this on the podcast, but if you follow Zainer's Facts on social media, you know that we did our first live stream on YouTube a couple weeks ago of the final day of the group stage of the UEFA Champions League. So, how about that? And also, you can go listen. You can actually, you can not listen. You can go watch that live stream, the replay of it on YouTube, and listen to both of the Instant Reaction podcasts we did back in June. Those are on YouTube, and they're also in this podcast feed, I'm pretty sure. So you can go listen to those, too, if you're interested in my soccer takes. And to wrap up the month, we dug back into the trials and tribulations of one Mr. Donnie Boy. As I mentioned earlier, only one public official was indicted for their handling of classified documents, and that just so happened to be Donnie himself. Former President Trump was found of not just hiding classified documents from the FBI when they asked for them back— but he also shared them with people who didn't exactly have a security clearance. That's a big issue. And then on that same podcast, we highlighted the one-year anniversary of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And by the way, since Roe v. Wade was overturned in the Dobbs decision, there have been seven states that have held referendums on abortion rights. And the so-called pro-choice side has won all seven, including in Kansas, Kentucky, Montana, and in Ohio earlier this year. Abortion was a big topic in Virginia in the 2023 elections, too. It's probably going to be a big topic in the elections coming up in 2024, too, which you might talk about in just a second. And you know what else happened in June. I watched the movie Titanic for the first time ever. That's right, y'all, because the Titan submersible, where five people went down to explore the Titanic shipwreck, five people all perished after it was presumed that the submersible exploded. That was the breaking news headline for a couple days in June, and it felt like we were all going crazy. To July, where episode 110 came and brought the most-watched YouTube video to date for our Xander's Facts YouTube channel. You should go check that out. I provided the latest on conference realignment in college sports, which I believe became a podcast that was outdated a few weeks later because the stuff is... That is going on in college sports is kind of wild right now. Just this past year, eight teams in the Pac-12 conference announced they were leaving alongside UCLA and USC, who announced the year earlier that they were going to the Big Ten conference. Washington and Oregon said that they were going to go join them, while Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah announced their intentions to join the Big 12 conference. And finally, Stanford and Cal, alongside SMU from the American Athletic Conference, announced that they'll be leaving their conferences and joining the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, Cal and Stanford. Oh, they just fit right in, don't they? And just recently, Florida State has filed a lawsuit in their attempt to leave the ACC. And even more surprisingly, this is not the end of us talking about Florida State on this podcast. We'll get to more of that in just a second. Also in July... Our very own Dr. Bobby joined the podcast to discuss the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which, while it started back in February of 2022, continues to roll on for what has been almost two years at this point. And right now, Ukraine is held firm, but U.S. funding to Ukraine is noncommittal at the moment, I guess I'd say. And in November, the war reached a fatal milestone. On November 18th, it was confirmed that over 10,000 civilians had died in the conflict. 
But on the plus side, Finland became the 31st member nation of NATO when they joined in April, and Sweden is also reportedly very close to joining NATO after Turkey has decided to support their bid. Also on that podcast, episode 111, Dr. Bobby had just gotten back from the Baltics right near Russia and Ukraine, and so he gave some insights on the feelings of the war over in Eastern Europe that you probably won't hear very many other places. So if y'all haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to that, episode 111. And then we had the sports highlight of the summer. The FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And you know, coming into this World Cup, the one and only United States of America, the U.S. Women's National Team, had won the previous two World Cups. So of course I decided to choose them to win their third. Did that happen though? Um, well, no, it did not. I did my Women's World Cup preview podcast on episode 112, that was in July, and by the time episode 114 came out in August, the U.S. had gotten knocked out of the competition in the round of 16. And I had some thoughts to share on what happened on the pitch, but also the talk of what was going on off of it. Here's that rant from episode 114. And Sanders Packs! Yes, y'all, I do have to mention, at least in passing, the Women's World Cup and our U.S. women who... Uh-oh. I think, as I did say on this podcast last week, lost to Sweden in penalties. Basic, I mean, a millimeter is basically the margin between losing and almost advancing in penalties in a game where they were the much better team i said if they want to have a chance of winning against the third best team in the world or at least according to the fifa rankings they need to play much better than they did against netherlands and vietnam and portugal and they did they just couldn't find a goal and there's a lot of reasons to be criticizing this team the players the coaches and There's a lot of people on the internet who are doing that. And I agree with a lot of that stuff about the play kind of looked lackluster. The coaching did not. I mean, this has been an issue. People who have been following the U.S. women's national team were like in the Olympics two years ago when we didn't do so well. The coaching doesn't look so great. Looks like it's a bit of an issue. Just really maybe the motivation that this team had. Obviously, they've won the last two World Cups. No team has ever won a third. That's obviously motivation, but also you come into it like, you know what? We've been here. We've done that. So why don't you come at us? Of course, you know, the rest of the world was like, all right, we'll come at you because the rest of the world has gotten a little bit better, you know, and that's not even in reference to teams like Sweden or Germany or Brazil or Canada, all top 10 FIFA ranked teams who got out in the group stage. Because those teams have been at the top for a long time and have been challenging the U.S. Germany's won two World Cups. But teams like Vietnam and Portugal, who are making their first World Cups, Colombia, who's in the quarterfinals, you know, these teams, the 20s and 30s in the FIFA rankings, the teams who we really don't expect to do well against the U.S. That's kind of what we talk about when the world is getting better. It's not the Germanys and the Swedens and the Japans and the Spains, because they've always been up there. Canada, Brazil. Germany, as I said, but the teams who we haven't seen before, the Colombias and the Portugals, you know, and I think the U.S. kind of figured that out in the group stage when they only beat Vietnam 3-0 and then we were held to a scoreless draw inches away from losing 
to Portugal and not even advancing past the group stage, which, you know what, the second ranked team in the world didn't do. So at least we did that. But it is disappointing that we only made it to the round of 16. Obviously, is it disappointing we didn't win our third straight World Cup, something that no country or team, men's or women's, has ever done? Yeah, it's disappointing. Is it surprising? No, absolutely not. And is it a failure that they didn't win the cup for the third time in a row? No, but getting out in the round of 16 when you're the two-time defending champion, you're the U.S. women, you have four stars just above your crest. Yeah, that's disappointing. And all the criticisms around this team with their play, what they look like on the field, the coaching, are totally justified. But if I will for a second, there's been a lot of criticism regarding this team that has not been about what's been going on on the field. It has gone not just from the random hollows of the internet to the mainstream of the internet with some of these people on whatever Twitter is now, X, and even on the Fox broadcast who decide to criticize the U.S. women not for their play because they really don't know what they're talking about. And these are a lot of people, listen, a lot of these people watch soccer a lot and they may know what they're talking about, but they don't show it when they're on the TV. But a lot of these people who are criticizing, and I'm not afraid to name names, Ku Klux Clay Travis, Will Kane, we're talking about Fox News people who don't, I bet, don't really watch soccer, don't really watch the U.S. women, except for maybe once every four years in a World Cup game. And obviously why I talk about soccer on the podcast is to help grow the game so that more people watch. That's obviously what we want to do. But people who share their opinions of the U.S. women lost because they're woke. They are too committed to social justice nonsense. They want equal pay, which takes away from the men's team. They are terrible, and that's why they lost. That kind of crap, enough. You know what? Go away. Here, this is what Will Kane, who used to be on ESPN, now is the co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend, said on Twitter after the U.S. women lost to Sweden in a game where they were the better team, by the way, if you actually watched the game, if you got up at 5 a.m. and watched like I did. True that. I know the people making these tweets probably didn't. He said, I always pull for Team USA, all sports. Oh my gosh, true patriot. And I really don't take joy in the earliest elimination ever for the U.S. women's national team. But this team came to be defined by arrogant celebrity activists who went out of their way to exhibit shame in the U.S., begin the process of destroying their own sport, advocating for men to play women's sports, and curry victimization with false narratives around equal pay. Nobody made it harder for, to root for them than the U.S. women's national team. There are women on this team who have poured their heart and soul and sweat into this team for the U.S., who are proud Americans focused on soccer. I hope these players define the future of the U.S. women's national team. Oh my gosh, Will Kane, you proud patriot American hero. Well, here's the thing. First off, advocating for women, for men to play women's sports, what is he talking about? He's talking about grooming, which everybody says, or they say, is happening in our schools. Oh my gosh, the LGBTQ plus are grooming my child. When has that ever happened? Go find me evidence. 
He didn't cite any evidence. And there is none out there because that's garbage right wing nonsense that has no basis to the claim. And also the fact that he said um, false narratives about equal pay. I, there's a lot of U.S. men's fans who are on the Internet, which usually I won't comment on. But a lot of these people, U.S. men's fans, are very angry at the U.S. women for these false narratives about their equal pay, saying they use data when the U.S. men's national team was at a down point to say that the U.S. women were generating more revenue for U.S. soccer. And they're talking about 2018, of course, when the U.S. men didn't make the World Cup. And what, what are you talking about? The U.S. women used the data that was available to them, most recent at the time. You may remember this fight has been going on for almost a decade now. And yeah, the U.S. men failed to qualify for the World Cup. Is that the women's fault? I don't think so. I love the U.S. men's national team more than the women's team. Probably I follow all their players more. But they failed to qualify for the men's World Cup. How is that the women's fault? Why are you blaming the women for using that data in that year and saying, this is totally, how could they do this? This is not fair. They're kicking the U.S. men while they were down. Maybe the U.S. men should have qualified for the World Cup. That's a total institutional problem that that was, not really blaming the players on the field for what happened in 2018, because that was a disaster of epic proportions on all levels. But it's totally fact to say that the U.S. women, who then the next year won the World Cup, to say that they generated more revenue. They did. How is that being facetious? or creating a false narrative about equal pay. I really don't understand it. There's that piece of it. And then there's the whole, what are they? Arrogant celebrity activists, because they have all these commercials and players like Megan Rapinoe have been very outspoken about social justice issues and the equal pay and things that people on Fox usually don't like. They like to call things that Megan Rapino and others like to advocate for as woke. And we had a previous podcast where we talked about woke on this podcast and what it meant. And I'm still not sure what exactly it means, but apparently that's why they lost because they were too focused on other matters, woke issues. They're too woke. Kind of like the dog whistle I remember telling you all last week about with Carly Lloyd, which he said on Fox, these players are too distracted. You know, well, the thing is, if y'all remember the 2019 women's team, it was basically the same thing. Now, obviously, they weren't using the term woke because they had there was another whatever they were using. They weren't using woke yet. They just came up with that like a year ago or so. But at the same time, you know, who was the star for the women at the 2019 World Cup? The golden boot winner, the golden ball winner was Megan Rapinoe. And you think that the people who, well, let's just say are supporters of the president at the time who got into a Twitter feud with Megan Rapinoe liked all that? No, they despised her then when they were on top and still talking about social justice issues, how the right vilified Megan Rapinoe. They were on top then, didn't affect them then. But now 
Because Megan Rapino is 38 years old and absolutely just cannot play the same way as we saw in the World Cup and in the Sweden game, the right can now pounce and they can say, this is why it's because you're too woke. Well, wasn't she what you would call woke four years ago, eight years ago? Like, if you followed Megan Rapinoe throughout her career, her standings on social justice issues have really remained the same over her career. But she was winning her entire career. World Cups. She's got two World Cups. I read this article in USA Today that was pretty good. It was titled, U.S. Women's National Team Might Have Lost at the World Cup, but Megan Rapinoe won a long time ago. It goes... Quote, the people delighting in Megan Rapinoe's misfortune forget something. They can send their triumphant emails rife with misspelling and misogyny, and it won't change the fact she's a two-time World Cup champion and played in another final. The right-wing media can spew more vitriol her way, and she'll still have her golden ball and golden boot honors from four years ago. This is... One of the most decorated, one of the most talented, one of the best women's soccer players the world has ever seen. And yet, because she's too woke, the U.S. women fail. And they fail to represent their country proudly. They're too woke, so they lost to Sweden, possibly the most progressive country in the world. Gash facts. That makes sense. And also, I've noticed that a lot of people on the internet, or whatever, like to call out the U.S. women for the national anthem. A lot of them, maybe their hand's not over their heart, maybe they're not singing it, and they complain and say, they are not patriotic, they are not representing their country, this is terrible, get them off the field. Things they could have said four years ago, and did say four years ago, and it didn't matter. But now, their calls get you know, louder because the U.S. women lost because this transition between the veterans and this new group of players that we have coming in, which if you watch the World Cup and you can see, you can kind of see the talent in between the messed up tactics and everything that was going on. The U.S. women are still going to be one of the top teams in the world for a long time to come. But a lot of these people, a lot of them who regularly do not watch soccer or women's soccer, who hate this, say it is un-American, unpatriotic. Of course, forgetting the fact that we have the right to free speech, free expression in this country. And those women out there are using it to their full extent. The First Amendment, which is as American as it gets. Because I think we should celebrate the fact that we as Americans can choose whether or not to sing the national anthem while it's being played, instead of criticizing the team that represents our country for not singing the national anthem or putting their hand over their heart while it's going on. A team that I would say they've won four World Cups, this group of players that's currently getting all the hate, won the last two World Cups, I'd say, represented our country pretty well. Like, I don't think what they did would be considered hate speech or things that go beyond what the First Amendment protects. Like maybe a certain former president who was just indicted for the third time. We'll have to have a podcast about that pretty soon, y'all. But I just wanted to wrap it up. And I guess basically 
address that yes the u.s women lost it's disappointing is it surprising no even though i did predict them to win on the facts this week because you know third world cup in a row no other country's done that would have been pretty awesome but you know what there's only four teams men's or women's who have won back-to-back world cups and so that in and of itself should be celebrated and there's a lot of people a lot of people who call themselves american patriots who say they are true to America, the, their political opposition hates America. A lot of these people who now continue to dump and hate, spew their hate, on the women's national team of the United States. I don't know. Just seems a little hypocritical to me, if you will. But, I don't know. Quit your whining. Santa's facts! I was not very happy recording that podcast, y'all. Just Not just because the U.S. lost, but because of the way some people decided to spew their minds on not just social media, but on the television, on the Fox coverage as well. That was, yeah. So I just had to insert my thoughts into the conversation. And by the way, the U.S., they hired a brand new coach for their women's national team, Emma Hayes, who I talked about. I wrote about on Xander's Weekend Facts. I wrote about that hire. Very good hire. I'm very excited for what's going to happen in 2024 for the U.S. Women's National Team. And by the way, who won the Women's World Cup? That would be Spain. They beat England 1-0 in the final, and they won their first ever Women's World Cup. And Spain is also just the second nation to have won both a Men's World Cup and a Women's World Cup. The other nation to have done that is Germany. How about that? The new facts didn't cease for this pod, y'all. It's a fact. And this summer had some big-time challenges as well, because in Hawaii, at least 100 people died and thousands of acres burned after wildfires on the island of Maui. And we found that the average temperature of the world's oceans hit a record high in August, and July was found as the hottest month on record, and summer 2023 was the hottest summer on record. So yeah, the transition to the next season might have been a little welcome. To say the least, it was pretty hot. And as fall began, I had to give my fact-filled previews for the currently ongoing football seasons, both for college and the pros. There's lots of facts, of course, on both those pods, episodes 116 and 117. So you should probably go check those out. But who did I have in the college football playoff, whose semifinals are taking place this coming Monday, New Year's Day? By the way, let's listen. Sanders Packs! Now let's get to my four teams in the last edition of the college football playoff four team edition. Of course, my SEC champion is in Alabama, number one, number two, my Big Ten champion, Michigan. And I think that the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, will have tripped up at least once before a loss to Alabama in the SEC title game to have two losses. So I don't think Georgia's going to get in. Mark that down. I've also got Ohio State, because I do think their only loss is going to be against Michigan. That'll give the Big Ten two teams in the playoff. Once again, same two teams run it last year. And then for my final team, it was kind of a toss-up between my Big 12 champion, Texas, and my Pac-12 champion, Washington. But I ended up going with... Drum roll, please. Nope. The Huskies of Washington, because I do think Steve Sarkeesian has the Longhorns on the right track, but I do think another year needs to pass by 
before they take that next sleep into the playoff. And that'll, of course, you know, have to happen in the SEC. But I do like Michael Penix Jr., and I think he'll be a top Heisman candidate for the Huskies, leading them to the playoff. Remember, last team to make the playoff in the Pac-12 in 2016 was Washington. Oregon is the only other Pac-12 school to get to the Final Four. Uh, once again, bye-bye Pac-12. So in my semifinals, I've got Alabama taking down Washington and then Michigan facing Ohio State in the other game. I'm not even sure if they'd let that happen. They may not want a rematch in the semifinal, but if it does, I think that Michigan would also win the rematch. So then in my national championship game, Michigan and Alabama, I'm sorry, Nick Saban, I'm feeding you rat poison, but it will be great to be a Michigan Wolverine Jim Harbaugh is going to lead Michigan to their first national championship since 1997 and their 19th claimed title in the great sport that we call, for now, college football. Sanders Facts! Sanders Facts! Well, that's pretty good, I'd say. Three for four. You know, not too bad. And by the way, for my updated college football playoff predictions for the semifinal games... Keep tabs on the Xander's Facts social media pages, specifically our Instagram page, because I'll post those hopefully in the next few days, before Monday at least. But to the NFL and my preseason predictions for the Super Bowl, what were those? Let's listen to episode 117. Xander's Facts! I'm making my season-long NFL picks, y'all, based on the facts, of course. For our playoff teams, starting off of the AFC, I had the Bills, Bengals, Jaguars, and Chiefs all winning their divisions and grabbing the top four spots in the AFC. For the three wildcard spots, I'm going to go with the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Chargers, who I think are going to make the playoffs, which means that Broncos and Jets didn't make the playoffs for me. I think it was a close one between the Chargers, Broncos, and Jets for that last wildcard spot. But I don't know, something about Aaron Rodgers. Well, there's a lot of things that make me unhappy about Aaron Rodgers, but just him at the Jets does, it seems strange. And then you've got the Chargers of the Broncos in the West, and I just think, I just think that Justin Herbert will be the difference maker, especially in those matchups between those two teams. Those matchups could be the deciders right there, for who makes the playoffs between the Chargers and the Broncos. And then, for me, I've got the Bengals winning the conference title, making it to the Super Bowl. I think they're going to meet the Bills in the AFC title game, but Buffalo's tougher division gives Cincinnati the advantage to me, and Kansas City, of course, is going to be right up there at the top of the conference. But I've got the Bengals making their second Super Bowl appearance in three years. How about that? Wow! So over to the NFC now. If you don't remember, I had the Eagles, Lions, Falcons, and 49ers winning their divisions. Those would be the top four spots in the NFC playoffs. And then for my wild card spots, I'm going to go with the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and the Giants, I think, are going to make the playoffs. It was tough between the Giants and the Vikings for that last playoff spot for me. But I went with New York, and of course for the Lions, it'll be their first postseason since 2016 and winning the division which they i think will do for the first time in 30 years how about that so to take the conference title and the super bowl berth from the nfc 
I think I like the Eagles and the 49ers facing off at a rematch of the NFC Championship game. But I think that unlike last year, San Francisco is going to avenge last season's 24-point beatdown. I've got the 49ers winning the NFC, meeting the Bengals in the big game, y'all. Super Bowl 58, which is taking place at Allegiant Stadium. As I said at the top of the podcast, for the first time in Las Vegas. Actually, technically it's in Paradise, Nevada, the town of Paradise. But you know what? It's basically Las Vegas. And it's where the Raiders play, the Las Vegas Raiders. That game will be on Sunday, February 11th. It's going to air this year, or I guess next year. It'll be 2024 by then on CBS and Nickelodeon, too. How about that? Who's going to be the MVP this year, y'all? What are you talking about? Bengals and the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I mean, lots of other people are probably going to have different Super Bowl matchups, but I think it's hard to argue that it would probably not be a surprise if we saw this matchup of the Super Bowl, two of the best teams that we've had in the league for a couple years now. Joe Burrow versus Brock Purdy. Oh my gosh. One of those is not the same, but these are the two, well, at least two of the most well-put-together teams in the league. And I think if this happens, it would be a great, exciting matchup, kind of like we saw last year with the Eagles and the Chiefs. That was a really good game. But ultimately, Burrow over Purdy, just slightly, gives the Bengals the edge for me. So I've got the Cincinnati Bengals winning the Super Bowl, y'all, for the first time ever, the franchise's first championship in either the NFL or the old AFL, before the two merged. How about that, y'all? Xander's facts. It's a fact. Xander's facts! Now listen, we haven't even made the playoffs yet, but um, I'm not so sure about my Bengals prediction, because Joe Burrow got injured! I didn't know he was going to get injured, so... Yeah, but the 49ers are doing pretty well. They definitely have a chance to get back to the Super Bowl. And 2023 was also a big year for labor. Cornell University's labor action tracker found that there were 413 labor strikes across the country this year, which was actually down from 2022. There were 414, but the number of workers who were on strike was up big time. And that's partially due to the writers and the actors strikes that basically shut down Hollywood for a couple months this year. That had ripple effects on the entire industry, causing production of many shows and movies to halt and television networks scrambling to fill their schedules and it may have had an effect on sports as well because of the strikes and the lack of programming abc decided to simulcast the full season of espn's monday night football the first time since 2006 that monday night football aired its entire season on a broadcast network that was the year that the series moved from abc to ESPN, and subsequently, the most watched Monday Night Football games since 1998 have both aired this year. The Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl rematch a few weeks ago, and then Christmas night, Monday night's Ravens 49ers potential Super Bowl preview. But there was a lot of other consequences for the Hollywood strikes, which I talked about on episode 118. You can go listen to that. And then we rang in October with a bang. On episode 119, which I know a lot of you enjoyed because I heard about it, we talked about Project 2025, which comes from the Heritage Foundation and pretty much seeks to make our representative democracy more like a one-man 
Autocracy. It's a very long podcast with lots of info, so I'm not going to play any clips here. But if you're listening to this pod and you're thinking about which of our past episodes you should go listen to in full, put that one at the top of the list, episode 119, because I'd argue it's one of the more important episodes that I did in 2023. And we follow that up with the equally important topic of Mr. Hunter Biden. I mean, listen, I had to set the record straight. So if you want the facts on everything Hunter Biden, head on over to episode 120. I talked about that there. And of course, Kevin McCarthy's job didn't last through October either. He was removed as speaker on October 3rd, and Mike Johnson was elected as the new speaker on October 25th. Like, we were without a speaker for 22 days in the month of October. Excellent work by the U.S. Congress. And speaking of Congress, we learned about the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. George Santos, in December of 2022. And a year later, he was removed from Congress. And now he's filming cameos. Oh, what a guy. But then, also in October, October 7th, Hamas launched an attack from Palestine on Israel that launched a conflict that has killed reportedly over 22,000 people and has penetrated throughout the global political landscape. It is the first time Israel has been at war since the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And a lot of people have been asking, why haven't talked about Israel and Hamas on the podcast. It's because it is a very complex topic and that would take a long time. I would need a lot of facts. We might talk about it some point next year, but it's going to take me a while to gather all the knowledge I would need to share with y'all on that podcast. I'm not hiding from it though, y'all. I'm not hiding. I'm just, it's going to be a big time effort. So hopefully we'll see that podcast happen next year. And then we rounded out October with the return of one Mr. Hillbilly. We previewed yet another NBA season, the fourth season we've discussed on the podcast, including the brand new in-season tournament. And if you go back and listen to that podcast, I feel like you can probably hear the skepticism in our voices when we're talking about it. But now that it's happened, I can say, y'all, it was a hit. The championship game took place earlier this month between the Indiana Pacers and the Los Angeles Lakers. It got the highest NBA regular season TV audience for a game not on Christmas Day since February of 2018. It was a hit, y'all, and it's coming back next year. And then as we came upon November, it was only right to produce our annual Election Day preview. 2023 wasn't a big election year. No federal offices were on the ballot. But for voters in states like Virginia, it absolutely was a big election, and it was a tight one, too. Democrats finished up with just one vote majorities in both chambers of the Virginia General Assembly, which is going to deny, oh, one of our favorites, Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, Mr. Glenjamin, all the priorities he's been hoping to ram through. I'm sorry, Glenjamin, it's not going to happen. Even in Kentucky, Democrat Andy Bashir won re-election as governor, and the pro-choice side won in Ohio's abortion referendum, while recreational marijuana was also legalized in the Buckeye State as a result of this year's elections. And later in the month, we focused on college sports. I previewed the college basketball season on episode 123. My national champion is Kansas, by the way, just so y'all remember. And then we got to college football. My first episode in December was episode 125, College Football Needs Some Serious Help. That took place after the College Football Playoff Selection Committee left an undefeated Florida State team out of the four-team college football playoff. Let's just say 
I was not happy. That might be one of the more passionate podcasts, I guess I say, I recorded this past year. Here's just, it's a pretty long clip, but I feel like it needs to be heard again. Here's a clip from that pretty eventful podcast, episode 125. Sanders Packs! So Jordan Travis, like, he must be this all-time great player, right? Like, if he was able to lead this team of misfits to an undefeated season, right? I mean, he would surely be the favorite, much less a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, right? The Heisman Trophy given to the best player in the sport that season. Duh. Well, on Monday night, the Heisman Trophy finalists were announced. Four guys. LSU quarterback Jane Daniels. Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. Insert Gus Johnson. The Maserati. Maserati Marv. Oregon quarterback Bo Nix. And Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. All very fine players who have been the best in the sport this season. Absolutely, they deserve to be named. But was Jordan Travis's name up there? No, it was not. So Jordan Travis isn't good enough to be named a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, which is given to the best player in college football that season, but he is good enough to keep his team out of the playoff because they didn't look as good without him. If he was good enough to make his team look so much worse without him, then how is he not good enough to make the Heisman finalist list even if he missed his last two games? How does that make sense? And then, here's what Travis wrote on Twitter right after the committee unveiled their Final Four on Sunday afternoon. This tweet has over 100,000 likes. Quote, Devastated, heartbroken, in so much disbelief right now. I wish my leg broke earlier in the season so y'all could see this team is much more than the quarterback. I thought results matter. 13-0 and this roster matches up across any team in those top four rankings. I am so sorry. Go Knowles, unquote, which y'all breaks my heart. I don't, you don't have to be a fan of Florida State. I am certainly not a fan of Florida State. It takes a lot to make a lot of people sympathetic to Florida State. They are known for their obnoxious fan base and that seminal chop that they constantly do throughout the game. But the college football playoff committee has found a way to make it happen because I feel terrible for Florida State right now. I, listen, if this was, Virginia Tech, y'all know I'm a Hokie, and that was Virginia Tech's quarterback who was in that same position and just led them to the same position that Florida State's quarterback did. I would be on the floor in tears if he wrote that because I wish my leg broke earlier in the season. For a quarterback to type those words, you do not have to be a Florida State fan for that to be an absolute punch to your gut. What are we doing? Like, just, I... It's unfathomable. And I've... I'm not even close to done with this, y'all. We love to say that college football has the best regular season in any sport. That's why we love it. That every game matters. It matters if you play North Alabama, who was a tier below. It matters if you play whoever, LSU, at the beginning of the season. Every single game you play matters, whether that's 12 games in the regular season and you play your conference championship game and your bowl game. Every game matters because the regular season is so short. We love to say that. College football fans love to say that argument. But the committee just showed that all of that is absolute baloney because 
Listen, it would have been much, much worse if the committee decided to put Alabama ahead of Texas because Texas, if you don't know, beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa in week two of the season. Now, both teams have absolutely changed since that point in the season, especially Alabama, who's gotten a lot better. But if that game is going to matter less than a game in week 13 in a sport where the regular season is 12 games long, why would you bother scheduling it in the first place? Texas is so happy that they scheduled that game and won because it matters and the committee placed them ahead of Alabama because of that head-to-head. But if the committee had placed Alabama ahead of Texas, then at this point you're like, why in the world did we schedule that game when we could have played Prairie View A&M and gone undefeated? So at least the committee didn't fully make the worst decision possible. But their decision to put Alabama in ahead of Florida State still shows that the regular season is absolutely not valued as it once was. Remember, back before we had the playoff, back before we had the BCS National Championship game, it was nothing. We had the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl. We had those bowl games. We didn't have a National Championship game. And the polls chose who won the national championship and we had co-national champions a bunch of years which is why we went to the national championship game and to the playoff and there were arguments against the playoff because they said it would devalue the regular season but this is not the way that they i disagree with that argument but this is not the way that they thought that the regular season was going to be devalued this is a whole nother reason and the athletic had an article that was published on sunday That was titled, The College Football Playoff Top 4 Rewards Recruiting Wins More Than Wins on the Field. The first full paragraph of that article read, quote, Alabama, which boasts the best roster in college football, but also fell well short of dominance in its 12 wins this season, is one of the four best teams. Florida State, which ranks 19 spots behind Alabama in the 24-7 sports team talent composite rating at number 20, is not, unquote. Preconceived notions about these teams should not matter when we're choosing which should be ranked above which and when ones should be going to the college football playoff. But let's take a look at these statistics. When we take a look at what actually happened on the field and we're not taking a look at recruiting ratings, Florida State has lost zero games this season. They played 11 Power 5 teams. Alabama has lost one game this season, and they only played 10 Power 5 teams because they played three teams in their non-conference schedule who were not in a Power 5 conference. The ACC, Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Pac-12. Florida State and Alabama, despite being in separate conferences, share a common opponent this season. You would think, oh, well, whoever performed better against this common opponent is probably the better team, right? Or at least should be ranked higher. That would be the LSU Tigers. Florida State played them in week one of the season on a neutral site in Orlando, Florida. And Florida State won 45-24. And by the way, LSU was a top five team at the beginning of the season. When Alabama played them at home in week 10, Alabama won 42-28. That was despite LSU being favored in the game against Florida State, but Alabama was favored in their game against LSU. Florida State won by more points, and they didn't even play at home. It wasn't their same state, but it wasn't in Tallahassee. It wasn't in their same stadium. It was not a home game. It was a neutral site game. 
and Alabama beat them by less points when Alabama was at home in week 10, when Alabama should have progressed at this point. Also, Florida State this season has beaten eight Power 5 teams that have made a bowl game this year, thanks in part to the fact that the ACC has 11 bowl-eligible teams this season, which is the most of any Power 5 conference. Alabama has beaten seven Power 5 teams that are bowl-eligible. And then let's talk about the end of the season where Florida State has supposedly ceded their spot to Alabama. This is from ESPN reporter David Hale on Twitter. Florida State has won its last two games against Florida and Louisville, the games where Jordan Travis didn't play, by more points than Alabama beat its last two opponents, Auburn and Georgia, by. Now, Georgia is better than Louisville. Auburn might be a little better than Florida. But when Florida State's offense was apparently so terrible that the committee said, oh my gosh, they're not a top four team, they still won by more points than Alabama beat its last two opponents by. Oh yeah, and we want to criticize Florida State for beating a five-win Florida team in a rivalry game, as I said, at the Swamp, a notoriously hostile environment, what the Florida fans like to say to me, by just nine points without Jordan Travis. But do remember what had to happen for Alabama to beat Auburn on the road. They had to score a touchdown on 4th and 31 or else the game was over. And before that, Auburn had to muff a punt for Alabama to get the ball back. Auburn was going to win that game. Auburn is 6-6 six and six this year. And Alabama needed a miracle to win that game. For the entire season, Florida State's offense is ranked 13th best in the country compared to Alabama at 19, including conference championship weekend, by the way. And Florida State's defense is 6th best in America, allowing just 15.9 points per game. Alabama's defense is ranked 17th. Louisville, who had one of the best offenses in the ACC this year, scored 6 points against Florida State. That was the lowest point total they had all season. The only other time they scored less than 20 points in a game was when they won 13-10 against NC State. They scored 13 points. Florida State's defense held them to 6. And then another thing, when we're talking about rankings, strength of schedule and strength of record, those are two stats that have been thrown out there in this argument. They were on ESPN while the rankings were getting unveiled. One favors Alabama, the other favors Florida State. In strength of schedule, Florida State ranked 55th. Alabama ranked 5th. In strength of record, Florida State ranked 3rd. Alabama ranked 4th. But you can't control your schedule. You don't control the teams you play. In college football, that is decided almost a decade in advance, your schedule now at this point. We're scheduling games for 2035. Like, I think that's when Virginia Tech and Alabama are going to play next in the regular season. They've already got it scheduled. But you do control how you play against your schedule. Here's why that strength of schedule argument needs to be thrown all the way out of here. Here are the top four teams if we're going to go by strength of schedule, okay? Indiana. Rutgers, Michigan State, and Florida. Only Rutgers is going to a bowl game this year out of those four teams, okay? But what about the top four teams according to strength of record? Washington, 
Michigan, Florida State, and Alabama. And the three teams right on the outside, Texas, Ohio State, and Georgia. So shouldn't this be the stat that matters? Note that all three undefeated Power 5 Conference champions are in the top three of strength of record. Not for everything, it shouldn't matter, but why are we paying attention to strength of schedule when strength of record exists and gives us a better picture of who actually performed the best this season? And ESPN's Bill Connolly even put together a statistic that he calls Resume SP+, which Connolly describes, this is a quote, a tempo, an opponent-adjusted measure of college football efficiency, a measure of the most sustainable and predictable aspects of football. He combined that with strength of record. And here's what the results showed. Number one, Michigan. Number two, Florida State. Number three, Washington, Ohio State. And then at five, Alabama, followed by Georgia and Texas. So for the statistics that show who played the best this season against the teams they played against, Florida State comes out on top over Alabama. These are facts. Now, don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. I am absolutely not dissing Alabama, y'all, because in a typical college football season, Alabama is absolutely one of the four best teams. They definitely had a case this season. They showed tremendous growth over the course of the season, capped off by beating the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, who the committee had as their number one overall team at that point, and Georgia had a 29-game winning streak coming into that game, which had started after they lost to Alabama in the 2021 SEC championship game. Alabama is an incredible football team. I love Nick Saban. I think he is the greatest head coach in the history of college football. And like literally who could blame him for advocating on behalf of his team to make the playoff? It's literally his job. It would be shocking if he went out and said, no, Florida State deserves to get in. We don't. That's his job to advocate on behalf of his team. In no way am I saying that Alabama did not deserve to make the playoff or is not a good football team. But over Florida State, they did not. And I think that the Crimson Tide have been receiving some scrutiny because they happen to be the team that jumped Florida State. They don't deserve that. The anger here should not be squared at Alabama, who has a good football team, a great football team, one of the best football teams, but at the powers that be in college football. Because another thing, The SEC, the Southeastern Conference, where it just means more, was not a dominant football conference this year. That's the notion we have in all of our heads that the SEC is somehow the greatest conference in the history of the world every year, 24-7, that God mandated that the SEC is the best conference. That may have been the case in previous years, but there's not a lot of data that shows the SEC is just so much better than everybody else, including the ACC this year. Because do you know what the SEC's record against other Power 5 conferences this year was? The SEC teams played 16 games against other Power 5 conference teams. They went 7-9. and nine. The SEC's record against the ACC this year. We say the ACC is the worst football conference. Out of the Power Five. The SEC went four and six against the ACC. It's a fact. And two of those losses were to Florida State. And defenders of the SEC, because don't worry, there's a bunch of them, will tell you, oh, well, that's because you beat Florida, who's not going to a bowl game. South Carolina twice, who's not going to a bowl game. Vanderbilt, who's not going to a bowl game. Well, three of the SEC's wins 
are against Georgia Tech twice and Virginia. Now, Georgia Tech, don't get me wrong, did make a bowl game. Georgia Tech went 6-6 six and six this year. How about that? But the two SEC wins against Georgia Tech were Georgia and Ole Miss. Teams that are ranked in the top 15 of the playoff rankings right now. And Virginia, who is dreadful this year. Don't worry, I witnessed it up close against Virginia Tech. Lost to Tennessee, who's also ranked in the committee rankings right now. So, that can go hand in hand. So the SEC went 4-6 and six against the ACC this year, and two of those losses were to Florida State. Yes, the SEC has won the last four national championships, six out of the last nine, and there's been two times where SEC teams have played each other in the national championship game where no other conference has had that happen once in the college football playoff. But are we talking about those past years? Do any of those previous seasons mean anything when we are talking about the 13 games that were played in the 2023 college football season? Absolutely not. How can we say that the SEC was some powerhouse this season compared to everybody else? They had a losing record against the ACC. The ACC even had a winning record against the Big Ten. They won four games. They lost three. The ACC had more teams qualify for a bowl game that means win six games than the SEC did. But because it just means more, we're going to give the nod to the SEC. Like, ask yourself, if they switch the resumes right now of Alabama and Florida State, who would be the team that's in the playoff right now? It would be an undefeated Alabama team over a one-loss Florida State team. There's no doubt that a Alabama team who lost their starting quarterback to injury, everything that happened to Florida State, you put on Alabama, you give to Alabama, Alabama gets in over a Florida State team that has that same resume. And listen, like I said, I'm not dissing Alabama. Alabama has a great football team. Nick Saban is one of the best coaches in sports. He's the best coach in the history of college football. It's not Alabama's fault that this happened. Alabama didn't decide to put themselves in. It was the committee and the powers that be in college football and college sports. And there's also this conspiracy that I don't buy into, that it was ESPN who made sure that an SEC team was in the playoff. ESPN told the committee, you better get the SEC in the playoff because ESPN, starting next year, is going to be paying the SEC a whole lot of money because that big 330 SEC on CBS game that was on CBS for over 20 years is going to ABC and ESPN next year. And the ESPN is paying a whole lot of money for it. So why wouldn't they want the SEC in? I don't buy that. But you have to wonder that ESPN's favorable coverage of the conference made an impact on the members of the selection committee. There's a video from College Game Day back on November 18th, the day that Jordan Travis got injured. Although this clip took place earlier in the day, Jordan Travis didn't get injured until... That night, this took place in the morning, where ESPN analyst Kirk Herbstreet is already questioning whether an undefeated Florida State team would make the playoff over an SEC champion Alabama team. And that was before Jordan Travis got hurt, before the committee says Florida State's offense looked terrible in their last two games of the season. That was before they were already questioning whether Florida State should have gotten in. Why? Because as Kirk Herbstreet said, Go watch the video on Twitter. There's no way an SEC champion gets left out. Why? Why is that not? If Georgia won, they're obviously in. They were undefeated. But Alabama lost the game. Why would Alabama get in over a team who beat them 
and a team who's also undefeated in a power conference, a power conference who has more wins against the SEC than the SEC has wins against the ACC this year. So here, let me play you a clip from the selection show that was on ESPN on Sunday afternoon, where they actually unveiled the rankings. This was right in the aftermath of Alabama getting picked number four and Florida State getting picked number five. This is a clip of ESPN analyst Booger McFarlane. Yes, his name is Booger. But I think it's one of the most well-versed arguments in this debate. I'm going to play first what this was right after, seconds after, they unveiled Alabama to be number four and Florida State to be number five. So I'm going to play what another ESPN analyst, Greg McElroy, who I think is a really good analyst on TV, but again, he played quarterback at Alabama, by the way, just saying, just to put that out there. I'm going to say what he said right before that, because he argues on behalf of Alabama and then Booger responds. Here's that clip from Sunday. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm not shocked uh, with how Florida State played the last couple weeks. They just have dropped off considerably at quarterback, and it's, and it's understandable, and I feel terrible for them. They did everything that you could possibly ask them to do, and here they are on the outside looking in. A lot of people will have big issues with this. They'll ask, why do we play the games? Why are we looking at a team that's undefeated that did everything asked of them to punch their ticket, but the committee actually did the thing that they've talked about for the last 10 years. Forever it's been, well, you know, it's kind of the most easy to justify. Well, this team has zero losses. This team has one loss. So therefore, the zero loss team should be ahead of the one loss team. This is the head-to-head. They took everything into account. They took a step back. They acknowledged injury, which they've talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. And they put in the four best teams. And that is not an easy thing to do. So I want to tip my cap to the committee because that is a difficult decision to make. And they think they probably went with the thing that was a a little less popular than it would have been had they just gone with the undefeated Power 5 champ. Well, I'm going to completely disagree with you. To, to, to me, this, this is a travesty to the sport. Because we go out there on the field and we play the game. And regardless of whether it looks good at the quarterback position, regardless whether we win with offense, whether we win with defense, the name of the game is to win. And that's a reason never before has this not been done. Winning a Power 5 conference, going undefeated, and not getting into the playoff. So I, I understand we want to look at style points and who are we going to get for the best matchups. But that's not what this is about. This is about understanding to get the four best teams. One team has a loss, and that's Alabama. One team doesn't in Florida State. And the fact that this committee could take a Power 5 conference champion that's undefeated, those kids have went out there and busted their behind and not get into the playoff based on the eye test. Mind you, this is the same Alabama team who needed a prayer in Jordan Hare to beat an Auburn team that lost to New Mexico State. So that's really what has me bothered right now. The name of the game is to win. That's what it comes down to. One team had a loss. The other didn't. And what the committee is saying to the Florida State team without Jordan Travis is you're not good enough. But if you're Florida State, this is why everybody is so incredulous right now. What are you supposed to do? You did everything you were supposed to do. You won all your games. And the committee said, no, this team who lost a game is better than you. Two teams who lost a game are better than you. When you're playing in a Power 5 conference, which is supposed to be on level footing with the other conferences, and now that I just showed you in their matchups, the ACC was better than the SEC this year. So, like, that's the thing. What are you supposed to do? This isn't some thing that parents nowadays are complaining about. Everybody gets a participation trophy. Oh, my gosh. No, Florida State won all their games. This isn't a participation trophy. This is like 
What else are you supposed to do? It, it's unfathomable. But the issue I have with what Greg McElroy said is that the committee went with the four best teams and he tips his cap to the committee. That's according to Greg McElroy. That's not according to everybody. If we're going to make the argument that it should be the four best teams that get into the playoff, where's Georgia? Georgia was on a 29-game winning streak. Georgia's ranked number six and hadn't come close to losing to anybody all year until they lost by three points and a nail-biter in the SEC championship game in Alabama. Where's Ohio State? Ohio State didn't come close to losing to anybody until they lost to Michigan on the final drive of the game on the road in the last game of their season. Where is Georgia? Where's Ohio State? And I'd also note that if Florida State looks so much worse without their starting quarterback, then why are they ranked ahead of Georgia? Why are they ranked ahead of Ohio State? That doesn't make any sense. Why would the committee, if, they're, if they have a problem with how Florida State's offense looks, how are they ranked ahead of Georgia and Ohio State? That doesn't make any sense because the committee knows that Florida State still has an uber-talented roster with at least two potential first-round picks likely to go in the top 10 of this year's draft in wide receiver Keon Coleman and defensive end Jared Verse, which makes their decision all the more confusing. If we want the four best teams, how is Washington ranked number two? Yes, Washington beat everybody, just like Florida State. And Michael Penix Jr. absolutely deserves to be in the Heisman running. But they won their last three games of the season by nine total points. They beat Oregon State by three points. Oregon State's a good team. They beat Washington State by three points. Washington State isn't that good. And they beat Oregon by three points. Because if we want the four best teams, then maybe I'd put Oregon in there. If we want the four best teams, if we don't just want the teams that won other games, why is Oregon not in there? Because Oregon looked much better than Washington for this season. Oregon's closest victory was a nine-point win against USC. They beat all their other opponents by more than 10 points, including scoring 81 points on Portland State to start the season. Now, Portland State's Portland State, but you scored 81 points. But what happened the two times that they played Washington? They lost. That's why they aren't in the playoff. Because they lost the game. That's why this whole process of selecting the four best teams out of five Power 5 conferences, mind you, is extremely subjective and extremely flawed. As ESPN analyst, another one, Dan Mullen pointed out in another clip I'm going to play for you here that aired a little later in the day on ESPN on Sunday. Here's that clip. Well, the same day you're talking about this Florida-Florida State game, the Alabama team who we just shoved right in, they're the greatest thing of all times, played an Auburn team who had been absolutely boat raced by New Mexico State. I mean, embarrassed by New Mexico State. The week before. And needed an absolute miracle to beat an extremely below average Auburn team. And so, but I guess, I guess I'm sorry, that, that must, and that was not with their backup and third string quarterback. That was with Jayla Milrow, who is like, has to be, Jayla Milrow is the guy. They could barely win that game. So I, I think to me, and it gets into the biggest thing. And I love the, the criteria. The criteria is the best team. Well, how do you find the best team? Okay, The best team subjectively, well, it was already done. The best team yesterday going in, Georgia was the number one ranked team. Okay, So the committee thought they're the best team. They're, they're, they're the best. Like they're, We don't need to see a game. They're the best. Okay, Because it's subjectively. Las Vegas had them as, as a big favorite. Subjectively, they're the best. Objectively, we went and played a game. And when you played the game, oh, lo and behold, maybe 
they're not the best team. In the movies, the hero always wins. The best team who we subjectively think is the best team in college sports doesn't always win. Maybe who you think is the best team doesn't always win. So in the game of football, what makes it so special is you have to play the game. And when you play the game, someone wins and someone loses. And if you play it 10 times, it might be different. But in college football, you get to play it once usually. You play the game, someone wins, someone loses. And you know what Florida State did? All they did was win. Winning has to matter. Because if not, I could say that, well, LSU's offense has looked at electrifying this year. Their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, has been incredible, and he might win the Heisman. Their offense averaged the most yards and the most points per game this season. So LSU should get into the playoff because out of all the teams in the country, they look like they are the best. So why aren't they in the playoff? Because they've lost three times. And what I love about what Mullen noted was Las Vegas and the odds because many are arguing that a Florida State team would get boat raced by Michigan in the semifinal. Michigan would be a heavy favorite. And that may have been true. We, know, we would never know. We'll never know. But just last week, Oregon was almost a 10-point favorite against Washington. Partially because, like I just said, Oregon has looked better than Washington since Washington beat Oregon back in October. Washington still won all their games, but Oregon's looked more decisive in their wins. But guess what happened when they played? Washington not only covered, they won by three points. Georgia was almost a touchdown favorite against Alabama. But guess who won? No single person can tell you whether every game is going to be close or a blowout before it happens, as I found from my football picks these last few years. The games have to matter. Winning has to matter. And it didn't matter as much as it should, according to the committee. Sanders Facts! Y'all, I was fired up. I was fired up for that podcast, y'all. That was a long podcast. That was a lot of me riffing off the cuff. A lot of that podcast was, which usually I don't do. And I tried to pick out the best moments there. But again, go listen to that full podcast for my full reaction. And then finally, we wrapped up the year with two podcasts that I found to be extremely factual, I will note. Talking about the challenges that electric vehicles face on the road to wide adoption. And then the issue of public money paying for sports stadiums. Two somewhat kind of niche topics that I... I found pretty important to address, and so I did, with, of course, facts. And pretty much what I did for all 40 episodes we did this year, I'm pretty sure. And to top it all off, you're listening to it, y'all. Episode 128, which caps off a month of only brand new episodes. The first time we've done that since May. May was the last month we have not had a flashback. How about that? Sanders facts. Now listen, that was fun, y'all. I gotta tell you, it's sometimes hard to put on this podcast week in and week out, finding topics, doing the research, recording the podcast, then editing and publishing it and promoting it on social media and doing the newsletter and the social media stuff and trying to figure out what things we want to do for live streams and soccer and all that stuff. It takes a lot. And as y'all probably know, it's a one-man show at the moment. But going back... And looking at everything we've talked about, discussed on the podcast this year, that made me feel good. I had a good time doing the research for this podcast. And y'all, it gives me motivation to go for another year. So you know what? Let's do it. 2024, we're going to have brand new Xander's Facts podcast. Like, I feel like that was a certainty, but I just had to declare it 
for y'all. Because I'm in a good mood, y'all. I'm feeling good, festive, it's the holiday season. I've got like this little mini Christmas tree on the desk right next to me. I am feeling it. I'm having a good time and I'm ready to record some new episodes for 2024. So, what's to come in 2024? Well, to start, we'll probably have a new podcast next week. Yay. Hopefully, maybe. Not 100%, so don't get your hopes up. But also, it's going to be a busy year. In sports, the college football season ends on, you know, a week from Monday, January 8th, with the national championship game. And the NFL playoffs are certainly going to be something to witness. Speaking of the NFL, you can't talk about professional football without talking about Taylor Swift. Her Eras Tour, which began earlier this year, became the first tour to gross over $1 billion dollars. And it's all thanks to her relationship with Travis Kelsey, right? Yes, is that true? We may find out whether their relationship can survive in the new year. Oh my gosh, get ready. And by the way, Super Bowl 58 is scheduled for February 11th in Las Vegas. And it should be an amazing summer too, because the next Summer Olympics are taking place in Paris, while there's a couple big-time soccer tournaments taking place too. The women's By the way, there's soccer in the Olympics, too. But for the men's, it's only a U23 competition, so it doesn't mean much. But for the women, the Olympics is a big deal. And in Germany, the Euros are going to feature the top nations battling it out for Europe's top men's national team prize. And here in the U.S., Copa America is going to crown the best soccer nation in North and South America. And they're going to be taking place a lot of the time. At the same time, obviously, the Euros are going to take place in like the afternoon or the morning. Copa America will take place more in the evening hours. But still, it's going to be back-to-back-to-back soccer in the summer. It's going to be awesome. And of course, 2024 is a big election year, too. It is shaping up to be, for the presidential election in the U.S., Joe Biden versus Donald Trump once again. But stay tuned. We never know. And speaking of Trump... Donnie Boy is going to be on trial next year in several of his criminal cases. On January 15th, a trial will begin in New York with Trump the defendant in a defamation suit and writer E. Jean Carroll suing. Carroll won a case against Trump earlier this year when a jury found him liable for sexual abuse and defamation and is now suing him for comments he made while he was president. And January 15th is important for another reason as well, because it is the date of the Iowa caucuses, which will kick off the presidential primary season. And I've already got it set up in my schedule. We're going to do an Iowa caucuses preview podcast, which is going to be exciting. And while Trump is certainly the favorite to win the Republican nomination, again, you never know. So we'll see. But then on March 4th, jury selection begins in the D.C. criminal trial where Trump is charged with federal election fraud crimes. The next day is Super Tuesday, when 15 states are going to hold their primary elections, the busiest day of the primary calendar. Then on March 25th, a trial date is set in New York over state charges that Trump is facing regarding hush money payments to adult film star Stormy Daniels. And in Florida, a trial has been proposed for a yet-to-be-determined date in May over Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents. And then on August 5th, the prosecutor in Trump's Georgia election conspiracy lawsuit has proposed for that date to be the start of the trial. And finally, November 5th is election day in America. So Mr. Donnie Boy is going to have quite the busy year, y'all. But it isn't just the U.S. that's going to be holding important elections 
The UK is expected to hold elections at some point. We don't know when exactly. That could put the Labour Party in power and in the Prime Minister's position for the first time since 2010. That's what the polls are showing. Who knows? But the UK, of course, kind of weird, a little different than America. They have a Prime Minister, and their elections are... They can be held at any time, the Prime Minister calls them, but they have to be held before January 20-something of 2025. So, most likely, they're going to happen in 2024. And Russia is also going to be holding its so-called elections in March, and Ukraine is holding their presidential election that same month. And the new most populous country in the world, India, is going to be holding elections for Prime Minister with incumbent Narendra Modi running for re-election. And what else is happening in 2024? Well, the first edition of Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, is going to enter public domain on the first day of January. Pat Sajak is going to be signing off as host of Wheel of Fortune for the final time. On April 8th, there's going to be a total solar eclipse over parts of the central and northeastern U.S. that'll be visible from a wide range of states, from Texas and Oklahoma all the way up to Maine and New Hampshire. And finally, the first crewed mission in 52 years will make the trek to the moon from the U.S. in NASA's Artemis II mission. That is expected to launch in November. So y'all, the world has been struggling these last few years, but I have to say, I think that 2024 is going to be a good year. I got a good feeling. I'm in a good mood, but I got a good feeling. And that'll, of course, be because there'll be brand new episodes of the Xander's Facts podcast coming out throughout the year. How about that? Goodbye, 2023. Hello, 2024. And there you have it, y'all. The longest podcast in Xander's Facts history. I don't think we've ever had a podcast go over two hours, but we are well over the two-hour mark. So y'all, thanks for listening. Even if you had to chop it up into little bits, even if you just made it to the end of this podcast, props to you. That is the year in review. Those are all the facts I have for episode 128 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Remember that if you liked all the facts we had on this week's edition of the podcast, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, rate and review the podcast, check us out on all the socials, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. Most importantly, spread the facts, tell all your friends about the podcast, the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, Xander's Facts on YouTube. As I said, go subscribe to the Xander's Facts YouTube channel, y'all, and also check out the Xander's Facts link tree linked in this episode's description because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. So y'all, that is a wrap on Xander's Facts in 2023. Next week, hopefully, we will start the new year with a brand new podcast, something factual to start off 2024. It'll be episode 129. And if we have a new podcast, it of course is going to be something factual. It'll be a big one. Don't worry, y'all. That'll be episode 129 next week. But that is it. That is a wrap on episode 128 of the Zaders Facts podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, y'all. And we'll see y'all with episode 129 next week and next year. The caravan of mostly Central American immigrants is now in the Mexican city of Guadalajara.